0: Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah F. Decker, a medieval historian, and today I'm joined by guest Sarah Baggs to talk about the 1996 Disney film, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. So, Sarah, welcome.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for joining. Would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: Oh, boy. Uh, (laughs) I forgot that you were going to ask me that. Um, Yeah, so my name's Sarah. Uh, I am Australian. I live in Melbourne in Australia. Uh, I'm a podcaster. uh, I'm a bit of an artist and a bit of a jack-of-all-trades master of none with my art. I like to dabble in many areas, uh, and I really like Disney movies, which is why I jumped at the chance to do The Hunchback of Notre Dame, because uh, it's a weird one in the Disney canon. A lot to say. It is.
0: Did you have much of a relationship with this movie? Because this is definitely one of the ones that I feel like came out at, like, the tail end of, like, I guess when I was old enough that I wasn't like that into Disney, but not so old that I was like around the other way and super nostalgic about Disney.
1: I was only nine when this came out. I definitely remember seeing it. And I remember a lot of the merchandise around it, which Mm -hmm. once you've seen the movie is so strange, (laughs) it's not, it's not a movie that lends itself easily to um, the fun merchandising side of the Disney movies. Um, (laughs) But uh, it definitely wasn't one of my favorites because it's it's really not a kids' movie. I feel no, <laughs> no. It's uh, it's neither one nor the other. They really couldn't work out what they wanted to do with this movie,
0: right? And it's sort of an odd choice to take a like extremely depressing gothic novel and turn that into a, something that's supposed to be a children's movie.
1: The, the reason that they made it after, you know, they were having sort of this Disney renaissance was because, oh, what was his name? I think Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was the, the head of um, Disney animation at the time, he wanted more prestige films. He wanted Oscars, okay. basically, um, right. after the su- success of Beauty and the Beast, which was the huh. first animated film to win an Oscar for Best right. Picture, I think or nominated right. no but, but first nominated for best picture which is why i think they came up with the animation category in its own right because they didn't want they didn't <laughs> want animated films <laughs> stealing uh spotlight from the prestige film but basically jeffrey katzenberg wanted uh, a prestige film and that's the reason uh-huh. that they made this for the potential for oscars and also because disney was very aware of the potential to move prestige films to the stage for musicals, and they wanted to do that as well. So that's uh, a little Disney history for you. My okay. my husband is a Disney freak, so I do pick up a okay. lot of uh, Disney from him. <laughs> he's looking at me accusingly like he's not a Disney freak. Sorry, you are.
0: <laughs> yeah, I... I'm actually a big like Victor Hugo fan because I I don't know, I guess in high school I or high school, early college, something, I went to France and was like that asshole and like read a lot of unabridged Victor Hugo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you must have had a lot of time. So much time. Right. Those were the days. <laughs> yeah, I I I've read The Hunchback of Notre Dame like a long time ago because when I was in my teens, I was very much like the i'm not like other girls i love classic literature you know i have um, a of that too <laughs> <and> I was, <laughs> so i was um when you said we were going to read this i was like oh maybe i should read it again and just like refresh my memory and i looked on audible and i was like 23 hours fuck that <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh yeah so fuck that noise i was like i don't have time for this <laughs>
0: Yeah, this is one of my favorite novels for a long time, but it's been a few years now since I've reread it. So my memory of everything in it is definitely not perfect, although it's good enough to remark on several things <laughs> that I don't think they should have changed. Yeah. So, which we'll get to. For sure. The Hunchback of Notre Dame is, of course, based on the 1831 novel by Victor Hugo. It stars uh, Tom Hulse as Quasimodo, who uh, is better known, I guess, as Amadeus, the, mm-hmm. uh, the titular Amadeus. Mm-hmm. To be more as Esmeralda, which is a, a choice. choice that <laughs> they have this very white actress playing this character who is portrayed as being a woman of color. Mm-hmm. And Tony J as Claude Frollo, who apparently his big thing is that he's just known for having a villain voice.
1: Well, he, he voiced Shere Khan in The Jungle Book. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, he's, he's got like- that
1: iconic... Uh, I love his voice, actually. I really do.
0: Yeah, I love his voice. And I will say, in general, I tend to think Disney villain songs are often the best songs. And I think that is the case in this movie as well. Yes, it is.
1: It is so good. (laughs) good. I I actually, (laughs) I was watching, I watched Hunchback last night in preparation. And I was thinking about how much I love villain songs. And yeah, Hellfire is one of the best. But we'll talk about that. We'll talk yes. about that in a little bit.
0: Yes. And then Kevin Klein as Captain Phoebus.
1: Again, a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin <laughs> Klein, Kevin Klein is famous for not doing movies. He will be asked to do movies, and he's very, very picky about what movies he will do and won't do. So getting Kevin Klein, it was a bit of a get for Disney, but mm-hmm. I just don't like him in this. I don't like him. Yeah. I'm not I'm not into it. I can't think of I can't think of an actor that I would prefer to Kevin Klein. I just okay. know that I don't like him. And it's not that he's not okay as a voice actor because I do like his work in The Road to El Dorado. Okay. Uh, I just don't I'm I'm not into it. But anyway.
0: Yeah. I'm having a hard time for him in particular divorcing how I feel about the portrayal and performance from how I feel about the character which comes mostly from how i feel about the character in the novel which was drastically transformed.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, he is he is a lot different than he is in the book. But one of one of the things Victor Hugo was big on money and while mm-hmm. while Notre Dame de Paris was like this ode to you know the edifice and and was this plea for protecting historical landmarks, he revised the book into an opera, La Esmeralda, and a lot of things he changed himself. So he made Captain Phoebus a good guy. Esmeralda lived mm-hmm. instead of dying, and because of censorship, they forced him to remove all references to Frollo being a cleric. So, oh. yeah, so that's something so that goes back to yeah. the opera. Interesting. So it's it's a really long-standing thing. So it's it's not all Disney. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is Victor Hugo himself. Which makes, I guess, Disney's
0: choices more understandable and just makes me then sad about Victor Hugo like (laughs) bolderizing (laughs) it so (laughs) much.
1: He did it a lot. He revised, I think there are a few revised versions of it. But anyway, we can talk about that more as we go along if you want. Yeah.
2: (laughs)
0: The first section, the enumeratio, is uh, the recap section. So just as a kind of very brief orienting recap, basically it is the story of a orphaned hunchback uh, young man who is raised in the Cathedral of Notre Dame as a bell ringer and whose life is then changed when he meets a beautiful gypsy slash Romani woman, Esmeralda. Mm -hmm. The story is framed as being told by the puppeteer Clopin, And uh, begins with the events uh, basically right when Quasimodo, the main character, is very young. So we see a group of Romani who are trying to sneak into Paris in 1482 and are caught by Judge Claude Frollo. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and complain about this one now. In the book, he is a cleric, he is the Archdeacon of Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. And every single thing about his character would make a million times more sense if he were a cleric.
1: I don't know, I kind of I kind of feel like as a priest, if his aim is the eradication of Romani people, it makes more sense that he's a lawmaker than a cleric to me because as a cleric his influence is not as far reaching. Like he can influence the minds of the people, but the physical getting rid of them aspect, I don't think is something that would be within a priest's grasp. Yeah, this this uh corrupt lawmaker, I think, is I, I don't mind it as a choice, and I think is even okay. more relevant now um, mm-hmm. as a narrative than it may even have been when it was first made.
0: I'll I'll talk more about I guess the, the kind of general choice of how of like how this whole narrative is put forward, and that does, you know, come from Victor Hugo as well. But so but you know, it is there are some historical issues with it. I mm-hmm. guess for me it's just that like so much of in particular, there's such a heavy emphasis on like religious hypocrisy mm-hmm. in ways that I feel like don't work as well with somebody who is just like technically a regular dude. And it's all about how like his lust is so damaging, and it's like, dude, just get married.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's that is one thing I was literally <laughs> watching, and I'm like, why is this dude single? <laughs> right? Just <laughs> like you, married. you're allowed to get married. It's fine. You're just a judge. <laughs> He's like, oh, well, just never found the right girl, I suppose. And it's like, dude, just fucking get married. It's fine. You're allowed. (laughs) You don't have (laughs) vows." So,
0: yeah, so that for me is a big thing. And there's a couple other things that all kind of Mm -hmm. function later that also, I think, would work better if he was a man of the church. (laughs) For sure. He chases and then kind of semi-accidentally kills one of the Romani women on the steps of Notre Dame. And then sees that she has this, like, bundle that he assumes is stolen goods, but then turns out it's a baby, but that the baby is uh, visibly deformed in some way, and so he promptly tries to throw the child into a well. Ugh. Great guy.
1: Yeah, such a such a champion, hero yep. of the papal.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, at which point the archdeacon the person who has the job that Frollo has in the book (laughs) comes out, tells him off uh, and uh, basically says that in penance, he has to agree to like raise the child and by which he says, okay, cool. So I'm just going to leave him here in the cathedral. Yeah. He has to live in the
2: cathedral. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: Right. Which also would make more sense if he was actually formally associated with the cathedral in some way.
1: Yeah. Instead of just like local lawman say like appropriating property, like put him, uh, put him here. But that's fine um the the archdeacon is played by david ogden steers a big uh a big guy at disney at the time he played um governor ratcliffe in pocahontas he played cogsworth in beauty and the beast uh he played winchester in mash for any mash fans r.i.p david ogden steers he was amazing and he's got such a good voice
0: yeah and his part of the song is very good here and he also definitely is uh He's like the nice cleric in the model, not too dissimilar from the um, bishop in uh, Les Miserables. I was literally
1: about to say that. Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. So he definitely is like a recognizable type uh, of like somebody who would show up in Mm -hmm. Hugo's
1: writings. Do you find it insane that Clopin knows about Quasimodo? like not just that Absolutely. there's not just that there's like a legend of the hunchback of Notre Dame like this mysterious bell ringer but he knows the circumstances under which he entered the city and knows his name later right like later in the movie during the festival of fools when he's revealed clopin's like quasimodo the bell ringer of and it's like how do you know him <laughs> In
0: terms of, like, the beginning, I assume that he's telling the story, like, after everything in the movie
1: has happened. Yeah, that's what I thought. But, like, during the movie, I'm like, wait, what? Right. How?
0: Why? And also, I don't understand how he would know the story. Like, who told him? Because Pasimodo doesn't know it. Frollo's dead. Like, did the Archdeacon just, like, pop up and was, like, by the way?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Like, and how, I mean, like, maybe he was around while the events were taking place, but, like, How old is Klopan supposed to be? I don't know. He doesn't look old. Right, I mean,
0: could it, like, because it could be implied, I guess, that he was, like, with those, that group of people at the beginning. Yeah, And then, like, was able to put two and two together. But he seems young for that.
1: Yeah, he, I'd say he's in his 30s. I mean, how do you tell whether a cartoon is old? I guess.
0: (laughs) A cartoon in a mask, too. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: (laughs) Frollo also does name him Quasimodo, which means uh, half-formed, basically. Racial,
1: Brutal. Brutal. Solid,
0: solid parenting. Solid mm-hmm. adoptive parenting here.
1: It's, yeah, it's like, Frollo is the most evil Disney villain. Like, yeah. literally, there's no... He's just... he's He's evil to the point where it's just completely unnecessary, like, beyond his desire to eradicate the Romani people. Like... Yeah, naming a child Quasimodo is fucked.
0: Right. And also we find out that, so this guy who murdered Quasimodo's mother then tells him, oh yeah, no, your mom abandoned you.
1: (laughs) Or was like going to try and kill you or something. Oh yeah, I don't remember. Yeah,
0: that like your mother like abandoned you. you.
1: Yeah, 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 that that classic narrative that like ethnic minorities are like less responsible parents than white people, which is so insidious.
0: Yes, yes, and also, yeah, another way in which this movie is upsettingly relevant.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, So it's 20 years later, we meet Cosimoto, who's, you know, a 20-ish year old young man now. He lives in the bell tower of the cathedral. He's very nice. He, for some reason, really likes uh, Claude Frollo, which is utterly inexplicable, but I guess he doesn't know anybody else. Yeah, uh, and And I mean, he's been
1: indoctrinated, like, since he was a baby that, like he was his savior basically it's it's a bit of the old Stockholm syndrome I guess yeah wait who took care of Quasimodo when he was a baby What? that's such a good question (laughs) I just was like wait (laughs) because he's like living the bell tower like I and I was thinking through this whole movie like how drafty it is up there and I'm like yeah he would have been so cold all the time like how did he live as a baby was the archdeacon just caring for him what?
0: Right, like, it's just so, like, I mean, that, like, definitely just adds to, like, this is the problem of Frollo not having this, like, real association <laughs> with and he just, with the cathedral church. and just kind of comes and goes, is that it's, like, the Archdeacon's, like, you have to raise this kid, and he's, like, cool, and by that I mean I'm going to leave him in your church <laughs> and sometimes show up and, like, look at him and, like, teach him the alphabet, but he's doing that when this guy is, like, 20, yeah, so, like, what has he been doing so the last 20 crazy. years? crazy,
1: and, like, the fact that it's, like, this fucked puritanical alphabet is oh my God, so it's funny awful. to me <laughs> posimoto has his gargoyle friends
0: yes he does this with gargoyle friends who are named uh, laverne victor and hugo
1: i love that they're victor and hugo and then just laverne like <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it laverne i guess okay apparently
0: is it's a, a singer a singer Yes, I was look. I was looking this up, and there's a singer who Laverne is named after.
1: As a French singer? I
0: kind of think no. I think it's like a like group. I want to say it's like a group of three women, and like one of them is named like something Laverne.
1: Hmm. I will have to look that up. I have no idea. Uh, yeah. I just think I it's so it incongruous down. with Victor Hugo, like. <laughs> Call her like, I don't know, Fontaine or Eponine or something, like some other right. Victor Hugo uh, homage.
0: Yeah, and apparently also, if I'm I'm trying to remember, but the original names that they had in mind for the Gargoyles were also, I think they were people, like to be, it was going to be named after people who had played Quasimodo in like, a, in like the stage adaptation, I guess? Hmm... Which I think would have been really interesting, and I think they, if I'm remembering correctly, they dropped it because of concerns about there being, like, litigation issues.
1: Huh. That's weird. I had no idea. But Victor and Hugo works. Victor and Hugo works. Uh, I hate them, though. I really hate them. I hate Jason Alexander in this movie.
0: Yeah, they're definitely your like classic Disney sidekick, but like not as good
1: Mm-mm. as most yeah, no. of
0: your classic Disney sidekicks.
1: They they kind of caught lightning in a bottle with Robin Williams, and mm-hmm. they just kept trying to chase that same comedian as a sidekick thing. It didn't work with yeah. Danny DeVito in Hercules. It was not great with Eddie Murphy and Mulan didn't work with Jason Alexander (laughs) in this It's just no good. And yeah, I mean, and this is, this is like a whole issue with the whole movie. Like the fact that Demi Moore is Esmeralda is insane. Like not only, not only that she is a white woman playing a woman of color, but Demi Moore's voice is not distinct in any way. She's literally just there because she is famous which is yeah. such a huge bugbear of mine with uh, famous people giving voice, being given voice acting work when they're not voice yeah. actors. It makes me right. fucking furious.
0: <laughs> like, Especially for things that, like, ask for singing in particular.
1: Well, she doesn't sing. That's the thing. Right. Like, they could have picked anyone else. Like, because Tom Hulse does his own singing, like and he's, right, like, and he's an like a okay, Tony-nominated
0: musical theatre actor. Yeah,
1: like, I, I, I don't like his voice personally. I think it has too much vibrato. I, I'm not into it. But at least he could sing. I'm on board with it. Right. Demi Moore, like, what are you bringing to this? Fucking nothing. Yeah. Like, just stay in your lane. And that's the issue because with animation, Robin Williams was really the missing link. He was mm-hmm. a talented voice actor and he was a famous person. So he sort of created this thing at Disney where they felt like they should have big name actors doing voice work to get people into the theatres, even when they didn't have voice talent, which is how you end up now with bloody Katy Perry voicing Smurfette, even though her voice could be best described as generic woman. It doesn't make sense. It makes me so angry. And I'm going to (laughs) stop my rant there because it just... (laughs)
0: No, but it is like, it's it's very silly. Yeah. So, yeah, so they, they do this. Al- I just want to say also, by the way, about the alphabet, mm. that the bit where it's like D is damnation and then E is eternal damnation <laughs> oh, <what? laughs> cracked me the fuck up. Yeah,
1: it, that's really funny. Abomination, blasphemy, contrition. Uh, so oh, yeah, funny. contrition,
0: one of the many words that children do not know.
1: Yeah, no. It's, um, <laughs> well, any of them. Abomination, blasphemy, like, yeah, I, I don't even know how you would begin to explain what an, yeah, an abomination is to a child. It's so nuanced. Right. Yeah. Anyway.
0: Yeah. Quasimodo then accidentally says F for festival, uh, because today is the day of the Feast of Fools. So this festival that he can see happening down uh, below and that he is really he kind of wants to sneak out and go to, uh, and then uh, Frollo is like, "Oh no, but you could never do that because people will just mock you for your deformity and hate you, and it'll be awful."
1: Oh, poor Quasimodo.
0: I know, which is sad. He then sings a song, which is clearly just part of your world.
1: Yeah, it's well, it's the classic Disney trope—the "I Want" song, which is the song that every Disney hero sings. Uh-huh. to identify what they want and for Ariel it's part of their world for for Belle it's well the the opening number where she says there must be more than this provincial life right and this it's out there which i don't mind i don't hate it I, I like I it. Uh, I don't. Fine. I don't think that the songs in this are that memorable. Like there were a few songs in this when I was watching it yesterday that I was like, I completely forgot this existed. <laughs> um, but this one, I, I don't mind it.
0: Yeah, I like the opening song, but like the like the bells of Notre Dame. Uh, yeah,
1: and, I like that. Yeah. The um, yeah, it does it does set the scene well. There, there. It is a good. The score is good. The score is yeah. really good.
0: And yeah, and I I don't think any of the songs are awful. Just a number of them are unmemorable.
1: Yeah, yeah, forgettable. Included. Like the one that the the one that the gargoyles sing later in the movie is just
0: eh. right. Yeah, that that's actually I think one of the songs that I like. The the only song that I actually kind of actively dislike, but that's like content as much mm. as anything else. Yeah, Phoebus arrives from the war, which the war? war? I don't know. I'm pretty sure actually France wasn't in a war in 1502 if I'm wrong correct me but I like looked at I spent a while digging around and could not figure out which war this was supposed to be.
1: It was the war the
0: war (laughs) because at first I was like I couldn't remember exactly what date it was so when I so when I was first watching the movie I was like oh would it make sense for this to be uh the hundred years war but no it's too late because by now it's supposed to be like 1502 so I I, I don't know I don't
1: know what the war is. (laughs) It's the war. How could we have forgotten? The war. Unbelievable. The war. Um, There, there's some guards that are manhandling Esmeralda, and Phoebus steps in and sort of rescues them. He's got a horse sidekick. Yeah, who's called Achilles. Achilles. Which uh, leads to the amazing joke where he says, Achilles, heal, and we're all supposed to <laughs> laugh at that. Yeah. Um, I noticed last night when I was putting this on Disney Plus the only warning that it gives it says like tobacco usage and I was like tobacco <laughs> usage and then I look and like the goat that Esmeralda has jolly he smokes a pipe, like, all the time. Like, why is this goat smoking a pipe? It's insane. That's a good question. No one But else... also, like, that's the only warning they give for this. I, I feel know. like there's a
0: lot of warnings I would have given for this. Yeah,
1: exactly right. Uh, but no, the smoking goat is what the kids will emulate. <laughs> Insane.
0: It's a big, big concern.
1: Not a single other Romani person is seen smoking a pipe or, you know, no one has a cigar. But yeah. yeah it's just the goat. Go with the pipe. Goat
0: with a pipe. He helps Esmeralda escape and then meets Frollo, who's in the process of
1: torturing people. He oh, sees he's, um, he's torturing the, the last captain of the guard. Right, yes. Uh, and he's like giving tips, he's giving tips to the torturer, like, don't lash him too quickly because the the pain of the last lash dulls him to the next. You must leave time. It's like, Frollo, you are so evil. Yes, <laughs> it's just
0: like so like creepy and sadistic. And also, yeah, it's... Like, that—that that is something that I feel like there should have been a warning for Absolutely. reference
1: to torture. But, like, can we take a moment to appreciate what a massive fucking power play it is to have Phoebus, his new captain of the guard, yeah. rendezvous with him in the catacombs of the Castle of Justice, where he's torturing <laughs> the former captain of the guard. What it a is ball. nothing.
0: Like, he is nothing if not confident and intelligent. He is like, very he's, confident. He's a good villain. So and he informs Phoebus that his main job, which Phoebus is definitely like, you brought me back from a war for this, yeah. is to root out the gypsies and like, in particular find their hideout the Court of Miracles.
1: Yeah, exactly right. He does this very disturbing metaphor with ants where he just destroys, he kills oh, yeah. ants, he just smushes ants with his fingers, which I found very viscerally upsetting. I don't like it. Yes. I was like, bleh and then Um, like
0: brings a stone down to kill the rest of them mm -hmm. and Davis is like got it yeah
1: i what a what a great and not at all heavy-handed metaphor frollo well done
0: again another warning that could have been given references to
1: genocide (laughs) yeah (laughs) the systematic destruction of a people warning and tobacco use (laughs)
0: Tobacco use is the only real problem here.
1: (laughs) And now it's the Festival of Fools. Yes. So everybody's
0: dancing and having a good time, except for Frollo, who is uh, obligated to go and watch it and is sitting there just, like, being a real dour fuck in his tent. Yeah,
1: he's got his little marquee, and he's just like, I don't enjoy this.
0: (laughs) Until he really enjoys it and gets, like, upsettingly turned on by Esmeralda dancing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, Yeah, so the Festival of Fools, it's all this, like, they sing this song called Topsy Turvy because the, yeah, there's all these people. It's about, I guess, originally... Oh, you're probably going to talk about it, like what the original yeah. point of the Festival of Fools was. But the idea of it was basically reversing people's stations, like a bottoms up sort of yeah. situation. So there's like a man dressed as a lobster pushing a man in a giant cauldron. And there like are dogs walking, people. dogs walking people. And like everyone <laughs> else, every other like topsy turvy thing is people in costumes, like acting out reversed yeah. roles. But the dogs are real dogs. They're and it's actual like, dogs. Do you spend the whole year before the Fe- Festival of Fools just teaching your dog <laughs> to walk you? Like, what was this? How?
0: I I don't think I could train my dog to do that. Duh. Absolutely <laughs>
1: not. Uh, and Quasimodo has like uh, he's there. He's escaped from Notre Dame. He snuck out, and he's uh, he keeps getting into mischief. Yeah, as Klopan sings. And eventually he meets Esmeralda.
0: Yeah, so he sort of, like, falls into her tent by accident. Uh, she sees him and is very nice to him, but then as she's leaving, she says, great mask, so she thinks yeah. that his face is a mask as opposed to his real face. Yeah, Esmeralda mm-hmm. does, like, her dancing on what is legit a stripper pole.
1: Yeah, she... Again, uh, a
0: choice in this children's movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's insane. Like, the, the over-sexualization of these, like... Yeah disney princesses who are who are not white i mean she's not a disney yeah. princess but like you know jasmine is a similar sort of thing mm-hmm. it's insane and yes yeah, this culminates she does this very sexy dance she has like this scarf and she kind of like wraps it around frollo's neck and is dancing up on him and he's like oh, yeah. oh, oh. like he's into it um <laughs> and it culminates in her stealing a guard's spear and she sticks it into the stage and then just like pole dances on it and I was like my right. god <laughs> like it's just it's unbelievable right like, it's... why did they think this is a good idea yeah it's it's insane it's really insane yeah. yeah and like she's really objectified like Frollo's like look at that disgusting display and Phoebus is like yes sir oh, oh, oh. when he's yeah. talking and, I mean, and Frollo's
0: out. saying that but also clearly as like salivating yeah exactly at the right. same time
1: yeah Oof. Frollo's Frollo's whole deal in this, aside from being like an evil fucking monster, is just a really good allegory for how men sometimes despise the objects of their desire. That's his whole yes. thing.
0: Yeah. And again, I guess that's the other part that as I say, that I was saying like I feel like would have made much more sense had he been a cleric, because there's nothing wrong, real. I mean, there's nothing wrong exactly with having sexual desire mm-hmm. as essentially as an unmarried man who is just associated solely with like secular power. Yeah,
1: exactly. There's none of that. Um, there's none of that vows of chastity and that sort of thing. There's no yeah. reason for him to abstain from sexual desire. It's all very healthy. Like.
0: Right, I mean, you know, not that like the Catholic Church is like the best on like sex. No,
1: no, it's not.
0: But it does like he could just get married. Yeah, I mean, maybe like not to her because there's you know class stuff. But like he's presented as this like man who has this like uncontrollable lust, but like no avenue for it. And it's like, but you could have an avenue for it. Yes, because at any time you could get married. Yeah, literally. and could probably even get married to a much younger woman. Well, like I like,
1: don't know use the services of a brothel or whatever like there's avenues like for even men who cannot attract a woman with their charm and looks I mean his haircut is a choice like yeah unbelievable
0: but like he doesn't need to attract like even to get married like he's a man of means yeah he's very powerful he's presumably wealthy like he could, he could easily make like as a political like a like marriage. He could very easily get somebody to like marry off their young daughter to him.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I was thinking as well. Isn't it so weird? Like, there's a lot of Romani people in this scene. Like, they they yeah. they live in Paris. Like, they're around. It is so strange. Not only the choice to have Esmeralda be a person of color and have Demi Moore be white. But none of the other Romani people are people of colour. They're all sort of like right. ambiguously ethnic. Like, oh, what could they be? They're kind of swarthy. They've all got dark hair, but they're all white. And it's like, so why? Right. Why Including, is Esmeralda. Of course,
0: who is yeah. very who is who is very pale. Yeah,
1: he's he's a redhead. Like, yeah. what what is going on? Like, why do they make Esmeralda like? Black. I don't. I don't know why. Like right. representation, absolutely. But right. there should be more people of color, if anything, and they should be voiced right. by people of color. I just don't. Yeah. Anyway.
0: Yeah. I mean, the one like medieval justification for it is that I would say probably in the fifteenth century the Romani are like probably like they probably really are a kind of multi-ethnic group as mm-hmm. opposed to like a kind of unified eth- like a unified ethnicity like I don't think they necessarily like would have all been of the same skin well that's tone. what I
1: think but like does does like Esmeralda not have any family like like is she just right like, like a, a unit of one in this in this yeah. Romani community like there's because like it's like all the Romani except Esmeralda are like one ethnically ambiguous collective yeah. and then she's just another entity entirely
0: right it's like there's like all the like slightly swarthy people and then there's esmeralda who's portrayed as black and then quasimodo who's portrayed as like he looks like he's irish yeah
1: exactly (laughs) what kind of romani is he anyway they want to crown the king the the person with the ugliest face gets crowned the king of fools
0: yes and Quasimodo wins obviously
1: yeah Esmeralda tries to take his mask off and realizes it isn't a mask like oops my bad but yeah this is the part that I was talking about earlier when Clopin is like hey, it's Quasimodo the bell ringer like I knew all along dude what are you doing
0: <laughs> right like we just everybody just know about this like and how because nobody's ever seen him like did people they see him wandering him- around the cathedral? like
1: well i mean later in the scene with the like the god help the outcast scene and quasimodo like wanders down into the church to listen to esmeralda sing one of the guys is like you bell ringer get back up to your tower like they all know his deal like stay out of our way we know who you are get out of here (laughs) it's so strange and like right clapan knowing Quasimodo like wouldn't you want to protect him like you know he's lived this sheltered life have you ever seen yeah. him outside of the cliff Theory draw before what are you doing? Clopin's
0: like this weird like chaotic neutral character. He's
1: not a good guy. He is right not. that
0: he's sort of like cast in some ways as like well he's like on the he's like not on the same side as Frollo so there's like an implicit he's not one of the bad guys but he's also like just seem like he really does just seem to like do at like do everything for like the sake of chaos. Uh,
1: I think he's a bad guy, and I'm going to talk about my issues with Disney's portrayal of them in a That's little fair. bit, but it makes me so <laughs> fucking angry. Fair. Anyway, everyone starts throwing tomatoes at Quasimodo for some reason. The yeah. guys throw it, uh, they all just start abusing him. Classic mob mentality.
0: Yeah, and then they like attach these ropes to him, and like they look like they're gonna like kill him.
1: Yeah, if this had gone on, it definitely would have escalated to him probably being murdered in the town square, like and, yeah. and Quasimodo like begging Frollo to help him, and Frollo's like, "No, you need to learn and a lesson." And Phoebus
0: also asks for permission to help him, and Frollo's like, "No, I have to teach him a lesson."
1: Yeah, it's it's insane that Frollo uh, that Phoebus takes as long to grow a backbone as it does, frankly. But then Esmeralda defies Frollo and uh, and frees Quasimodo, much to Frollo's chagrin.
0: Yes. And she also then kind of like jumps up on something and then does some magic trick where she disappears in a puff of smoke.
1: And he's like, wishcraft.
0: Yes, and is very angry. And then everybody chases her for
1: a while. They do this thing where she disguises herself as an old man because Jolly, her goat, sits on her shoulders and smokes his pipe (laughs) and she wears a cloak. (laughs) She wears a cloak over the whole thing so it looks like an old man with just a pipe, that tobacco, it sure it sure is helpful in evading the, the popo. Right. Yeah, and Esmeralda draws this uh, draws this uh, comparison between Frollo's complacence in the abuse of Quasimodo to the plight of her people, and she demands right. justice, which just incenses Frollo even more, because yeah. uh, he sees himself as a good guy for deigning to permit Quasimodo to live...
0: Yeah. Such a good guy. Mm-hmm. What, a, what a nice guy. He's just a really nice guy. He's Why just, won't women date him? Yeah, he's
1: like, he's totally and like, Chad's like Phoebus.
0: <laughs> that is kind of the plot of this movie, actually. Yeah,
1: kind of. Is. Frollo <laughs> is a confirmed incel.
0: Right. And Quasimodo's is like a nice incel. <laughs>
1: but... He definitely his, uh, his arc is basically learning to Except that women don't owe him a relationship and that he can just right. value them for their friendships, which is yeah. kind of nice. Yeah. So as Meralda, Oh,
0: she mm-hmm. ends up in the church So and Phoebus tells her, like, demand sanctuary so they can't take you. And, you know, then like, and she's like, what? And he just kind of turns around. And he's like, nope, she said sanctuary. And the archdeacon then, you know, sticks up for her on that and says, you know, Frollo has... Learn, long since learned to respect the sanctity of the church
1: mm-hmm. but then Jolly like forces Phoebus to leave the cathedral after Esmeralda and Phoebus have a bit of a flirty back and forth
0: I appreciate that Jolly is not on board with this budding romance and absolutely
1: I, I wanted to puke when Phoebus is like my name's Phoebus it means sun god I was like fuck off I like, dude fuck off <laughs> Uh, I'm kind of a big deal in my shining gold armor. If you haven't noticed,
0: who introduces
1: himself like that? Yeah, uh, no, Blech. It's like, yeah, I don't go around like my name's Sarah. It means princess, right? so you better treat me as such. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Phoebus uh, <laughs> is is escorted from the chapel, and like Frollo hides in the church. And then comes up behind Esmeralda and, like, pins her arm behind her back. Uh, and smells, he smells her, her hair. hair. Oh, God, what? It's, like, uh, it's so gross. And she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I, uh, I was just imagining a rope around this neck. And she's like, I know what you were imagining. And it's like, what is this Disney movie? Right, it's, it's like, so this is creepy. not a movie for children. Yeah, it's he's such a gross, creepy predator. I'm just like, Bleh. Yeah.
0: and again, things that there should have been warnings for. I don't care about the t- the tobacco use. <laughs> How about warnings for like sexual predation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> and then uh, Frollo reminds Esmeralda that she can she can claim sanctuary in Notre Dame, but she is trapped there. And and he says that reminding people don't do well inside walls, which is, I mean, it feels like a gross stereotype, but Esmeralda is 100% like, yeah, no, I can't live in a building. And it's like, yeah. okay. <laughs>
0: I mean, at the, very, at the very least, it correctly applies to her, but yeah. it is, yeah, kind of gross. Like, here is, I know what you are going to do, person who I have not met because of this ethnic stereotype, and exactly. then it is actually kind of worse that then the ethnic stereotype is portrayed as being 100% true.
1: Exactly right. Um <laughs> then she sings god help the outcasts the the cgi in this movie was used to great effect uh some of the crowd scenes are done in cgi which looks kind of gross like the cgi people i'm not into but like the some of the shots of esmeralda with the cgi candles flickering and stuff it's very beautiful um the beautiful stained glass windows in the church. It's, it's really good. The aesthetics of this movie are just top notch.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll talk more about these specific like works of art that we get to see later. Mm -hmm. We also get to see a bit of the congregation who, as they come in, talk about things that they're praying for. And it's interesting because they are presented all as basically praying for personal gain in
1: some regard. Yeah, exactly. And Esmeralda sets herself apart by she says, I don't need anything. Just help my people, please. She cares yeah. so much about the plight of the Romani people.
0: I do want to shout out though, the one like woman this one like 80 year old woman, she's like, I'm asking for a love. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, good for you.
1: You know, lady, there is an eligible judge who is single. (laughs) And he's I mean, he's a bit younger than you, but like it wouldn't be completely inappropriate.
0: (laughs) Come on, have some have some fun. He clearly uh he's clearly feeling lustful these days.
1: Might I interest you in a Frollo in the hay as (laughs) this Oh dear. Uh, sorry i love puns and they're always so bad <laughs> i'm not good at puns i love them but i'm not good at them quasimodo comes downstairs uh to hear uh esmeralda's beautiful singing and yeah a guy's like you bell ringer get out of here um and he runs back up to his his little room upstairs and esmeralda chases him up
0: there yeah, and she gets to see he has all these we've seen them before he- I'm not actually sure what they're supposed to be made out of. Are they are they wood, but that he has all of these, like, little figurines that he's been carving? Yeah, out? we
1: see him carving one later in the movie. So they're, yeah, they're little wooden carvings representing all the villagers. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's not one for every villager. Like, he's got, like, a blacksmith. He's got one for the baker. But there's also all these generic people. And because there's not many of them, I really kind of want to know, why he chose to carve those people specifically and whether he has right. this like creepy obsession with certain people that he sees on a <laughs> regular basis that he's just watching but them I'm like, kind yes. But I'm
0: wondering about like how he can see them well enough that I think she even says like, this is a good likeness. And like, I- I've been at the top of Notre Dame. You cannot make out people's facial features. I
1: know, throughout this whole movie, there's like, we're told time and time again, like the gargoyles can see the action in the square Quasimodo can see what's going on down there like it doesn't make any sense the thing is massive you would not be able to see the people like that you can see
0: like vague movement yeah
1: exactly like they look like little ants they're not like you can't be like ah, yes this is the baker I recognize him yeah no good
0: like I remember trying to pick out my own mother from the top of the (laughs) dome and not being able to all
1: right so that myth is officially busted (laughs) Esmeralda just lets Jolly eat a bunch of Quasimodo's carvings.
0: Yes, and I'm like, that must have taken hours. I know! I'm
1: like, what the fuck, lady? What's your goat? Like Ten of them. Mm. <sighs> he eats one, and I'm like, that's unbelievable. And then he keeps eating them. Like, what the fuck? It's like, you need to leash your goat, lady. The the one of the weird running jokes that starts now is that Hugo the Gargoyle is attracted to Jolly the Goat. Right, like they, whenever other people around the gargoyles turn into just proper stone gargoyles, yeah, and but like Hugo comes back to life to make a kissy face at Jolly, and later on he draws a picture of Jolly,
0: and yeah, so the th- they're all like drawing pictures, where they're like, ooh. And like, I can't remember which one's which, but like one of them draws like a picture that's supposed to be Esmeralda, but is very bad. One of them draws a picture that's of Esmeralda, but that is actually pretty good. And then could just draws actually, a picture of
1: the good. <laughs> I noticed that like Victor, the posh gargoyle, he draws the like childlike drawing of Esmeralda. Laverne, the woman gargoyle, she draws a picture of Esmeralda that not only is very good, but the pose she's in is like draw me like one of your French girls pose. <laughs> yes, and I'm like Laverne, <laughs> you horn dog. What are you doing? Queer representation, exactly. Uh, yeah, if if Victor and Hugo were my only options, I would probably be into ladies too. Frankly, Fair. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I, I can't. I, I'm not above like crass humor, but
2: mm-hmm.
1: Hugo Jason Alexander's character in this movie is just so needlessly gross like yeah I don't like him he's gross yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is
0: definitely the moment when Laverne is like my bisexuality has taken a heart
1: <laughs> <laughs> totally totally <laughs> so it's this point where Quasimodo talks about how he has to stay up here now he's never going back out there because he's a monster and she's like you're not a monster. Like Frollo's oh. told you this, but you're not. And she says, Do you think I'm a monster? He's like, No, no, you're you're good and kind, but you know, the other gypsies, they're the ones. They're they're bad, Frollo's told me. And she's like, Well, you're not a monster, and I am a gypsy. I'm not different than all other gypsies. So maybe Frollo's wrong about all of us, which has Quasimodo a little bit shook yeah he's questioning everything he knows
0: he's questioning the racism that was and self-hatred that was instilled in
1: him yeah i I mean they don't really talk much about the fact that he is supposed to be romani but he is i guess you forget because he's so blindingly white
0: right (laughs) right which is which is a very odd choice again that like He that he is supposed to be Romani, but like he looks very different from all the other people who are portrayed as being Romani.
1: Yeah. Can we just say as an aside, thank God, of all the changes that Disney, you know, made from the original Uh source material, thank God they didn't go with Esmeralda's real origin story, which is that she is white, but was kidnapped by Romani people and was raised by them and then later learns that she's just white Thank God. Thank God they left that out and just yeah. decided to make her actually Romani. Oof.
0: Yeah, there's also the whole plot line that I always forget exactly how it turned out, but something to do with that, like, Frollo has a brother.
1: Yeah, Frollo has a brother. Oh, fuck. Jahan? Yeah, and in one of the, I think the 1920. 1920- Oh 1923 I want to say film adaptation. Frollo wasn't a cleric but his brother was instead and right. they did that. Yeah, but I don't remember anything about the brother.
0: Yeah there was a, I think he was supposed to have been like licentious like dissipated one or something mm. and so like Frollo and so then like Frollo's like uptightness is in part this like contrast to his like shitty brother.
1: Mm, interesting. That would be, I mean, I guess they didn't want to overcomplicate the story, but it would help to explain why he's like that. Right. So at this point, uh, Quasimodo's like, I'll just carry you down the side of the church so that you can and i guess accept- if he
0: does that and like hides behind a statue and like looks at people i guess if he can do that then that explains why he knows what people look like
1: no because she says to him have you ever done this before and he's like nope let's go oh.
0: <laughs> okay so never mind there no. goes that
1: explanation <laughs> um so yeah she carries him down it's like a it's supposed to be like a dramatic scene and she's like oh, it's it's very reminiscent of like the scene in Tarzan where he's rescuing right. Jane from all the all the monkeys that are chasing them. That mm-hmm. yeah, very uh, skilled, capable man swinging through his natural environment while the woman screams and hangs on for dear life.
0: Gender parody,
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Esmeralda begs Quasimodo to leave the the cathedral and come live with her in the Court of Miracles. And he says no, but she gives him like a little, it looks like a little, a mini dream catcher kind of thing. Yeah. And I feel like this, uh, this is so petty and nitpicky, but she says this little rhyme. She's like, remember when you hold this woven band, you hold the city in your hand. It's not a woven band. It is a piece of string with a little dream catcher thing on it. And I'm like, They clearly had the rhyme written and they had like a different uh, MacGuffin in mind and then they changed it at the last minute and didn't bother to update the little poem that went with it. And I'm like, rude and sloppy. It also doesn't
0: really make any sense, to be honest, because the explanation is that so then that thing is like a map leading to the Court of Miracles. Mm there is no way that with that precision they could do the like extremely winding streets of medieval
1: paris yeah no it's it's absolutely ridiculous because like it's it's just a little like a pendant that you can hold in your hand sort of thing and there's a big yeah. cross in the middle to symbolize where notre dame is for some reason like apparently the 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 placement of notre dame has extreme significance to the romani people but when they get to like the the cemetery or ever the the entrance to the court of miracles is located phoebus is like now uh, oh this symbol that's on the map it's here and it's like there's no room for any fucking symbols (laughs) like this is it's it's bullshit truly right
0: or there's like yeah like that's the other thing on there is that there's like a tiny symbol but based on that and the way the whole thing works it also looks like it's like around the corner from Notre to the dog because <laughs> yeah. there's just like
1: not enough room what a convenient location
0: <laughs> right <laughs> like how has how has claude frollo not just found it by like going door to door <laughs> <laughs> In the, like, four-block radius around the cathedral.
1: (laughs) Anyone seen any, uh, a lot of Romani people just mysteriously disappearing in thin air next door? That's where they went.
0: We then have Frollo struggling with his faith and his lust for Esmeralda in the song Hellfire, which does not belong in a children's movie. It
1: absolutely does not. Yeah, he's, it's literally... (laughs) It's literally him wrestling with his inner demons about how much he wants to fuck Esmeralda. And he says... Let her be mine or let her die basically is yep. his prayer. It's
0: me or your pyre. Choose me or your pyre. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's uh I love this song. I love the music. It is so yeah, evil. No, it's great. I was so surprised last year when my husband and I went to um Tokyo Disney, we saw mm-hmm. one of the the shows that they just have there, we saw and Frollo was one of the bad guys that was in this like variety show. And I'm like, you never get to see this. <laughs> and they had all those, um, like those big hooded, like those red robed creatures that are right. in. They had them the on people stage. who are supposed to be like
0: the Inquisition or something. Exactly. Just like they're hiding c- in the background.
1: They're so creepy. And like, yeah, they were at this show at Tokyo oh, Disney. Weird. And I was like, that is so bizarre. Like, did they really love Hunchback in Japan? Why is this here? <laughs> it was so rad.
0: That's great. And I do love also so he's like sexy dancing with like a uh, like Esmeralda made out of the flames yeah and, and his... then I think he's like out later and he like must be like kind of like have like some soot or something and he's like oh I had some trouble with the fire <laughs> 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 it's like by which you mean you were
1: like masturbating at it um uh, yeah it's it's such a good yeah it's it's really up there with the greatest villain songs in Disney history but it is so incongruous with the tone of every other villain's song where yeah. you know other villains sort of like revel in their evil or talk about how much they love to be bad guys or talk about their evil plans and it's like an exposition song. But this is a song about a man wrestling with his inner demons of yeah. lust. Such heavy subject matter. And and the thing is that Hellfire starts before Phoebus is briefly in the cathedral and wants to find Esmeralda right. and like Quasimodo chases him out. But then Quasimodo sings a very brief song called "Heaven's Light," which he yeah. where he talks about Esmeralda and compares love to heaven's light, which is a very nice sentiment. But the both songs are about Esmeralda, and it's like Quasimodo sort of has her up on a pedestal, um, yeah. and Frollo has this like Madonna whore thing happening, where he's like, right. it's
0: it's a very, it's very interesting devil in particular like that he's like that he says something like uh that like it's basically like it's your fault god for making the devil so much stronger than a man yeah um, exactly it's a so very his desire to like his demonic influences yeah
1: it's it's a very stark contrast between the songs and yeah it, it's so out of place it's so out of place in a kid's movie but it's such a good song as a standalone song I'm really yeah. into it, yeah. and I also
0: love the visuals, like the whole thing like with like Esmeralda in the fireplace, like again, like it's like it's way too sexy, yeah, it's it's extremely it's sexy. It's like
1: her like it's yeah, the flames are like dancing and forming her sort of like undulating in the fire. It's and like the animation is the fantastic, animation is but... very, very legit, so that's that's basically his thing, and this leads to him systematically. He really steps up his his efforts in in eradicating the Romani people. Yes. We get a bit of a montage. Right.
0: Yeah. So he goes and finds her and offers a reward if they give her up. And I think he says first 10 pieces of silver and then goes up to 20. And I kind of feel like if they're going to go so heavy handed with all the religious like hypocrisy metaphors that they really should have just done 30 pieces of silver mm-hmm. and like went for it and they did not. Gone. And I think that was that's disappointing.
1: Full Judas. No, they didn't. <laughs> and obviously none of the other Romani people are willing to to give up Esmeralda, um, they like they you see them pushing the the caravans into the into the sand and with people still inside them they like push the caravan yeah. <laughs> in and then like children are coming out of it like <laughs> yeah. Like, people, could people swim in those days? Like, probably not, some right? Some people,
0: I mean, some some people could, but not everybody. And yeah, also, like, no. if you're climbing out of a caravan into the river, like. Yeah,
1: that seems unlikely.
0: And you have, like, your clothes that are soaking wet. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you can swim, like.
1: Yeah, no, I don't like, the situation. I don't like my chances of making <laughs> it out of that. And then they, like, are interrogating the local miller. Who apparently is accused of like just harboring Romani people? I guess maybe
0: he like sold them bread one time. So why don't you know where Esmeralda is? Yeah, exactly.
1: He's like, we found this gypsy talisman on your property, and he's like, "Uh, our home is always open to to people who are on the road. Like, I'm trying to make money here. They got
0: put up as a like, we won't kill you (laughs) if you try to stay in our house.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and Frollo instructs phoebus to burn down the miller's house with the his family inside and like like locked inside locked inside like they he barricades the door with a spear so they can't get out and like this is a man and a woman and a small child and a baby just to really highlight the level of monstrosity at play here with with frollo and yeah
0: and so Phoebus refuses, uh, which Frollo is very angry about. Frollo then sets the fire himself, mm-hmm. but which by the way is also something that I think would be better if he were a cleric, because there are like like there's a whole set of rules essentially about like that churchmen are not supposed to like essentially be that active in the like destruction of human life, like in cases where people were burned at the stake, for example, like they're supposed to be handed over to the secular arm to do so like they're not supposed to like the pyres themselves mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I feel like that would have been more interesting if it had been like him breaking his vows like
1: yeah that would have been interesting yeah no that I can I can appreciate that and just like the yeah and I mean even just on a more basic level if you didn't have the understanding of like clerical vows just the just the sort of ingrained cultural knowledge that we all have that people, religious of people are supposed to have just this deeply held views Respect about human life. Exactly. Thank you. I couldn't get the thought <laughs> out. Yeah. Just the yeah, the implicit value on people's lives and just being willing to throw that away while he single mindedly mindedly pursues this one woman. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hell of a thing.
0: Yeah. So I think that would have added like a cool layer of complexity.
1: Well, I mean I think it's right. look, it's it's really just I guess it's just a matter of preference because the fact that he is the law and uh-huh. he is burning people inside their houses. I don't think he's any less True, powerful <laughs> like it's it's Fair. like a it's a bit of a another pearl clutch moment, but yeah True. yeah, so so Phoebus then rescues the Miller's family from inside the house and then they're gonna kill him. They're gonna kill him. yeah. And they do
0: they do manage to shoot him. He's actually, he must be on like a borrowed horse from Frollo because Frodo's (laughs) like Frollo, Frollo, (laughs) Frodo. Frollo's like.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I love how Frollo, who doesn't seem to care about anyone or anything, is like, don't shoot my horse as Venus is riding (laughs) away. (laughs) Yeah, like this is the one connection that he's made in the world. He like has this strong bond with his horse. don't shoot it please um yeah they managed to shoot phoebus in the shoulder and he falls into the seine from a great height
0: and then at some point like somebody's like should we go after him to make sure he's dead and in like the typical like villain never finishing it off thing mm-hmm. uh frollo's like no let him rot in his watery grave
1: <laughs> yeah it's like dude just do the double <laughs> tap just make sure the job is done you're so ineffectual frollo just a James Bond villain, exactly. Esmeralda rescues him and takes him to Quasimodo in the in the cathedral, and Quasimodo's like, "Ah, oh, fuck, I guess." I yeah. guess I'll hide him, especially
0: cuz this is right after the gargoyles sing this song to him which uh, is basically yeah. just like them getting his hopes up about how Esmeralda definitely wants to fuck him and because he's more interesting looking would definitely be more interested in him than she is in Phoebus who's like boring and blonde.
1: Yeah, it's 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 kind of cruel, but I do appreciate the the rhyming of Adonis with your body is the shape a croissant is, uh, which is <laughs> barely a rhyme. And like, and like they go, cause like Quasimodo, like, you know, he's supposed to be all deformed. So he's kind of like weird and sloping and they literally have Hugo holding up a croissant and it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, I guess his body is kind of the shape of a croissant. Like, Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for pointing it out like at what point in the production like what you know is this it's a real chicken and the egg situation like at what point was this right, comparison right go drunk? back
0: and make him more croissant like
1: <laughs> i'd like to, to put this croissant lyric line work. could you make him a more a little more croissant?y like <laughs> 10% more croissanty, please guys
0: we just uh, need this one song lyric to work and the animators <laughs> are like really <laughs>
1: frollo meanwhile like after after phoebus dies frollo's like i'm gonna burn paris down if that's what it takes to find esmeralda paris is literally burning like there's a big external shot from from a distance and there's just fires all over town so much smoke yeah. and it's like this man he is insane he needs to be yeah. impeached
0: They're also just like, okay, this is like the like logistic thing that this is not the only Disney movie that this happens in because like I'm thinking like Lion King where there's like everything is on fire and destroyed and then in two minutes it's like, nope, he's king, the good guy's king now, so it's fine again. Mm -hmm. That this is very similar in that like you see Paris burning, you see this like fire in Notre Dame. We just had a fire in Notre Dame, like it's still not like fully restored, this would have had a major impact, but then as soon as like Frollo dies—sorry, spoiler for the end—they like come outside and it's like the sun is shining and like everything is totally fine.
1: Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Like, yeah, the extent of the fire damage that we see during the final fight scene—it's like, what? Where? Where did it go? But also, like, what is burning? Because it's all cobblestones and well, and but stone- everything
0: is. Like, all of the buildings that are timber, including even, like, a big stone building like Notre Dame, like, they're, like, inter- like internally, like, the roof is going to be timber, like, ah. yeah, like, a ton of cathedrals were, or, like, a ton of cathedrals and churches, even though they were, like, largely stone in terms of the part that people actually, like, see and look at and think about. There was, like, enough timber in the, con- like, in the construction that, like, fires were a huge problem.
1: Hmm. How interesting. Yeah. So no like idea. this should have
0: wrecked Paris.
1: <laughs> oh man, I've never been so horny that I've destroyed a town. Like ever.
0: <laughs> but I have destroyed like the like the like at this point, I think maybe the largest city in Western Europe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You've we've all been there. Yeah. It's it's, it's basically up there. it's up there. It's a big city to destroy with horniness. Yeah. So, yeah, Esmeralda brings Phoebus to Quasimodo. Quasimodo does not like Phoebus because he's his his sexual competition. But Esmeralda and Phoebus kiss, and Quasimodo, he like slumps against a pillar and he's so wounded, he's like, oh, my feelings. Cucked, he says. I've been cut. The
0: one thing that I will say for Phoebus is that he has one good line here where I guess they're like using like a bottle, like wine to like disinfect a wound. Mm-hmm. And he says something like, 1475 Burgundy, not a good year. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right, that's a good
1: joke. Yeah, it was decent. Um, okay, yeah, Esmeralda, can I? So. I wanted to know about this. So Esmeralda, she like yeah, she pours wine on this shoulder wound that Phoebus has and starts sewing him up with a needle. Is that something they would have done in those times? I was like cleansing the wound in medieval times? Like
0: Oh yeah, like they actually knew more than we give them credit for. Okay. All right. In okay. terms of like hygiene and meta like especially because I would say, especially when you're talking about something like, you know, this is like a woman doing medicine. So the people who actually like their medical knowledge is based on experience, as opposed to the people whose medical knowledge is mostly based on like Greek books uh, Mm -hmm. that have like the theory of the four humors and are wrong. (laughs) Yeah. That like the people who actually like, practice medicine like figure a number of things out so like they figure mm-hmm. out things about like alcohol cleansing wounds
1: mm, how interesting yeah because yeah. i saw that and i was like i'm not sure but luckily i knew i'd be able to ask you so <laughs>
0: yeah so yes yeah, so that's a decent amount of like practical things like that that people definitely like had figured out just by like oh if i do this they don't die <laughs>
1: <laughs> i really like so esmeralda escapes uh because At the same time as this is all going on, Frollo realizes that the only way that Esmeralda could have escaped Notre Dame was if Quasimodo assisted her in some way. So he's coming to suss it out. At like, what time is it? He's like, dinner time. Yes. (laughs) He's like, I'm never too busy to share a meal with you, Quasimodo.
0: (laughs) And it's like, clearly you are, because you think it's like lunchtime and it's midnight.
1: (laughs) But I really like, because Esmeralda... And her, like whoever helped bring Phoebus in, they just kind of lie Phoebus out on a bed and they're like, don't let don't let Frollo find Phoebus and Cosmo is like uh, okay I won't and he like drags him under a table and like kicks him under the table he's just like <laughs> and his family is like
0: I'm doing like the letter of what you asked me to do but I am not going to be nice to
1: him about this exactly it. like he kicks him so hard it's, <laughs> it's amazing it's like this is a like heavily injured man <laughs> and he's just like I mean she wouldn't know
0: from the fact that he then like wanders the fuck all over Paris uh, exactly and like fights in
1: War with totally. no apparent problem, but you know. <laughs> but for now, he's weak, and he yeah. doesn't. He doesn't even make any like groaning noises. as Quasimodo just like kicks him, and he's like, "Get in there, you piece of shit!" And <laughs> he's just, just like deathly silent. Basically, Frollo just uh, extracts from Quasimodo that he helped Esmeralda escape, and. And so Frollo is like, Paris is burning because of you. Gypsies aren't capable of real love. That was just one of her gypsy tricks. And he's like, oh, it's fucking brutal. Yeah. And he like destroys the little wooden carving that he's made of Esmeralda. He sets her on fire, which is sad.
0: Yeah. He also comes up with the like pretty clever trick of saying, Oh, I definitely know where the Court of Miracles is and I'm like about to attack it because With then of course Quasimodo and Phoebus are like oh my god we have to go warn them and take the little map and obviously lead Frollo there
1: exactly right yeah as soon as Frollo leaves Phoebus is like he's fine now he's like we've gotta go <laughs> yep <laughs> let's go Quasimodo doesn't want to but he does to help Esmeralda because he doesn't like Phoebus still he hates Phoebus <laughs> right
0: yeah, and they're sort of bickering, like, Phoebus is like, no, it's that way, and is like, I spend literally all of my time looking down at the city from above. I know how to follow this weird, like, map made out of string.
1: <laughs> Seems legit. <laughs> so this is the part that I have so many fucking problems with. The Court of Miracles, okay? Yeah. So they find the Court of Miracles, It it requires them to, like, slide away the top of like a sarcophagus and climb inside it's like a hidden entryway and as soon as they're in there basically they're set upon by all these romani people and they're captured and they start singing this song the court of miracles bearing in mind that we just got done with esmeralda being like gypsies aren't the way frollo says like we're not bad people right (laughs) and then immediately this song they're like the the lame can walk and the blind can see and there's visuals there which are basically saying we pretend to be lame and blind to beg for money and cheat people out of money. So basically Disney is saying like, not all gypsies, but definitely these gypsies. Right. Um,
0: and it's <laughs> Or like it's actually horrible. basically all gypsies except Esmeralda. Like
1: Yeah, exactly. And they like, <clears throat> and they've captured Phoebus and Quasimodo. They will not let them talk. And they're about to hang them based on nothing. And they're like, yeah. you know, they're like these people, you know, they're they're such savages. They have no judicial system. They'll just kill people for right. no fucking reason. And not only that, but like clopin is the one who's orchestrating this execution and he's like everybody we have some entertainment this evening there's going to be a hanging yeah. and everyone's like fuck yes we love hanging and it's like the and fucking he has this like hypocrisy. mockery of a
0: trial thing where yeah. he like dresses up as like as um as frollo and then like dresses up as the hangman
1: yeah and it's just yeah it's It's insane that they want us to be like, oh, the Romani people in this movie are like the downtrodden minority and we're supposed to feel bad for them, but also they're just portrayed as these morally bankrupt savages who will kill people and like who lie about being disabled to trick people out of money. Oh, it's so awful. Which
0: is a very like traditional stereotype about the money people. Is like yeah, exactly. Not great to be buying into in this movie.
1: <laughs> exactly. And like for them to be yeah, I, yeah, it's unbelievable. You'd never get away with something like this these days. We've come I really such, hope not. No, you wouldn't. And we've come such a long way with with things. I feel like the sort of the the lesser known sort of we've come a long way. Like I I don't think we wouldn't have thought anything about calling people gypsies in 1996, but now we know that that's a slur and an inaccurate slur because it comes from the, the misbelief that they originated in Egypt, which they didn't. They're from India and things like, you know, we don't call people Eskimos anymore because that is a slur as well. Like we've learned a lot in a relatively short period of time. I don't think I don't think you'd be able to do that. Now, I hope not. God, I, I hope, hope not.
0: not. Yeah. No, I I hope it would not be quite this bad at least. Yeah. The goat is the only one who is portrayed as like having morality. Like it's like the goat
1: <laughs> sees
0: that this is happening and the goat runs to tell Esmeralda. Yeah. The goat is portrayed as as being like more morally upstanding
1: than an than actual the entire human person Ramani's
0: population. <laughs>
1: The the goat has an earring. Who pierces the ear of a goat? That's a good question. I couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'm like, why would you <laughs> pierce a goat's ear? And it's like a big hoop. It's like pulling the earlobe down. I'm like, he needs a he needs a lighter hoop. He's just a goat. Poor, poor goat. <laughs> I and mean, he's so small. And he's addicted to nicotine. <laughs> That's why he's so small. It stunts your growth. <laughs> poor thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Frollo storms the Court of Miracles. He's like, "Fiddle dee dee! I tricked you! I followed you here. You led me right where I wanted to go. You fucking idiots!" And Quasimodo is like, "I'm a fool." And
0: so then he obviously captures Esmeralda and goes straight to executing her for witchcraft. Zero trial. No. There is no trial.
1: <laughs> no. Well, everyone saw it at the Festival of Fools. She disappeared. It's witchcraft.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so no trial, uh, which which is wrong. There would have been a
1: yeah.
2: trial. Uh,
0: yeah, you'd think. And then, like, basically, like, says to her, like, "So you gonna fuck me?" And then she's like, "No." And then he's like, "He." She refuses to recant. I yeah, guess I'll I have to kill her.
1: It's so gross. She spits in his face, which I kind of yeah. like. I was like, "Yeah, go, <laughs> Esmeralda." Uh, but even now, yeah. uh, she's still being sexualized, even as she's about to die. She's wearing like her slip and it's like strategically torn. Like when, when did this happen? (laughs) Who tore her, her undergarments just enough?
0: Yeah. I also do just want to note that like Esmeralda really is the only woman in this movie. Yeah. Like there are barely even background women in this movie. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's like one little girl who kind of plays an important role, sort of, kind of at the end. And I mean, I guess Laverne is a woman insofar as a gargoyle could be considered to have a gender. Right. (laughs) Which I feel like is actually kind of like
0: questionable in terms of like, so it's like, okay, I mean, fine. I guess it's like an actress playing her. So like we can, uh, like, so we, I guess we could assume that it's a female identifying gargoyle, although like, I don't
1: know. I don't know. I don't know how gender works with gargoyles. Uh, I don't presume to understand the complexities of gargoyle gender politics.
0: Right. I don't understand their gender politics, and they also definitely don't have genitals.
1: No, they don't. Not that that determines
0: gender, but... No, but also... It is worth noting.
1: Hugo, like, eats Quasimodo's food. Does he have, like, a digestive system? Like, I have so many questions about, (laughs) like... And, like, later in the movie... Um, Hugh, Victor is using Hugo as like a bellows to stoke like the fire that's in Notre Dame and it's like does he have lungs I want to know I, I want I mean, to there know there is an argument
0: to be made that they are actually all a figment of Quasimodo's imagination
1: <laughs> well I I was thinking that too right up to the point where they start actively participating in the defense of Notre Dame and I was like
0: that's true Well, this
1: can't be a metaphor. But yeah, up to that point, for sure, they could be just a figment of his imagination because he's so fucking lonely. Which is very sad. Yeah. Frollo said to his guards, like, take Quasimodo back to Notre Dame and make sure he can't escape. So they've, like, chained him up like some sort of poor, like, King Kong sort of thing. He's got all these chains and he's shackled to these pillars. And it's, yeah, the, the gargoyles are trying to, like, futilely free him and they... He can't. And they're like, you have to try and save Esmeralda and Quasimodo's kind of just given up on himself.
0: He's like, no, I tried before and I just fucked up. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> and then, but then as he sees Esmeralda's life starting to slip away as she inhales the smoke from the from the pyre, he breaks his chains, which holy fuck, he must be really strong.
0: Yeah, and that I think is like is in the book too is that he's portrayed as being like, extremely strong because I think like he basically does nothing but like like ringing the bells itself but like you have to be actually pretty strong yeah to ring the bells I mean because essentially you're like pulling like massive iron
1: objects I think Victor Hugo had a thing for like inhumanly strong people because it was the same thing no seriously because you got Quasinoto but Jean Valjean like yeah he the reason that um Javert discovers who he is is because he pulls the cart off that guy and he's like there's only one man in Paris who's as strong as that it's Jean Valjean right yeah or Quasimodo (laughs) or Quasimodo (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, so it is It is definitely sort of the same, but yeah, but that is in the book too. And so yeah, he breaks the chains and then like Tarzan swings down. I know, it
1: makes no sense. What is the rope attached to? We've got a real Spider-Man problem here. Like what, where, but um, yeah, and he's, he like rips the ropes off Esmeralda with one hand. Like where was this strength before Quasimodo? Could you not have just right. like, come on. Yeah, and then he he climbs back up to the top of the bell tower, and he's like sanctuary. also like holding her in one hand. Yeah, it, like like King Kong climbing up the side of the New York State Building, mm-hmm. Empire State, not New York State, sorry, Empire State <laughs> Building. And yeah, sanctuary. I remember being a little kid and being so intrigued by the idea of sanctuary, like
2: yeah.
1: the idea that you could just go and hide out in a church. Yeah, like why don't more Which people is a legit do that? Thing.
0: And like, I find it kind of cool that like the plot of like I find it kind of cool that there is this like children's movie that like turns on this sort of like weird pre modern judicial concept.
1: Yeah, I mean like, sanctuary is not a thing now, is it? I don't.
0: It can't possibly be.
1: No, it can't be, because everyone would just be like flocking to churches. Right? Yeah. No,
0: it's it certainly can't be like in countries that are officially like secular countries.
1: No, no, it's, it's definitely a whole, it's a thing from when, when church and state were more closely like intertwined. Right. Hmm. Yeah, no, I I don't
0: know exactly when that went away, but
1: I'll have to do some further reading. But yeah, it's really I, I found I remember as a kid just being very intrigued by this idea that you could take refuge in a church. yeah. Frollo tells his guards to attack Notre Dame, basically. Yep. It's this attack on this iconic edifice of Paris that makes the people finally realize that Frollo's not a good dude. And Phoebus rallies the people to to revolt against Frollo because now he attacks Notre Dame herself. And I guess because Notre Dame means what like our woman yeah it's named after our like lady. the virgin yeah, so the, the virgin, virgin mary. mary yeah so yeah it's it's kind of yeah it's it's not only that he's attacking paris but he's attacking their their faith really because this yeah, is like is of the Virgin
0: the... Mary. Yeah,
1: essentially.
0: Which actually totally like makes sense as a rhetorical move mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. a like late medieval context that it would be portrayed as this like attack on the Virgin Mary, yeah. Mary by attacking the cathedral, and I feel like that actually works really well.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I and agree. you see that
0: earlier too with like at the at the beginning where the archdeacon's like, dude, you just murder this woman. Andy says like beneath the very eyes of Notre Dame and it's like referring to the church but it's also kind of referring to the Virgin Mary
1: yeah and the the statues of the kings of Israel that are in the that are in the the cathedral yeah the those creepy CGI statues (laughs) um which are so cool. (laughs) I love them yeah they're really cool the yeah the the CGI in this is just superb and we see a lot of that in this fight scene now like there's a lot of sweeping vistas yeah now we have the like the the big final fight scene where quasimodo and the gargoyles uh defend notre dame against the the onslaught of frollo and his guards why okay one of the big things in this is that there is a molten Cauldron of metal that Quasimodo yes. tips over the side. Why the fuck is that there? What? For? Right.
0: I feel like it's implied that it like is like for like bell casting, but like oh. I that I'm I'm pretty sure that would not like happen just like in the rafters of the cathedral. Yeah, like surely just all not. The time. Like
1: if if the cathedral's made of wood why would you have molten metal up there that doesn't it seems like not a great idea no. yes yeah, so it's like
0: that part in particular like he is actually precisely in the part that is like all wood
1: exactly it's <laughs> crazy I was like why is that and just like the logistics like how long it would take to heat the metal using yes. medieval like technology to the point that it was molten like, they didn't know this battle was going to happen.
0: Right, and it's also like, what is it up there for? Because, like, so Quasimodo is the only person who hangs out out there. Like, he's clearly the bell ringer. Like, Not are they the saying he's caster? also, like, the bell
1: caster?
0: He like... makes
1: the bells? It's insane.
0: Yeah. it's It's bizarre.
1: This whole battle scene is one of my massive problems with the whole movie. It's this whole movie doesn't know what it wants to be. It's neither one thing yeah. nor the other. And this fight scene is just the perfect example because you have these very, you know, th- this battle where they're, they're passionately trying to save Notre Dame and save Esmeralda. But then you have like, you have like guards falling off Notre Dame. And instead of like the Wilhelm scream, they've got the Bill Farmer goofy scream. They're like, Ooh! Right. and I'm like, what and like and then there's more like dramatic fighting and phoebus is like sword fighting and shit and then jason alexander like chews up what like a brick or something and fires it out of his mouth like a machine gun and and it's just this this gritty fighting juxtaposed with these joke bits and it's just right it's (sighs) insane the tonal whiplash in this bit it's It's terrible Yeah.
0: We do, however, get to see like the fire. Co- so like, gar- you know, so gargoyles are functional for any <laughs> listeners who are not aware that that isn't even seen a gargoyle and a grotesque. A grotesque is just decorative, whereas a gargoyle is functional and that it's basically like a rain spout. Mm-hmm. And so then we see like instead, like now it's a hot lava spout, which I'm like, that would like, like, I feel like. I don't know how stone works. I'm not a construction person. I feel like that would like destroy everything. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Like, yeah, because he basically just tips this giant cauldron over, like not over the edge, like on the floor, and it runs yeah. out over the floor and out of these gargoyles. And it's a beautiful visual. Like the defense visual. of Notre Dame would have wrecked Notre Dame. Exactly. It's, they really destroyed it in, in defending it. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. The soldiers seem to be all defeated, but Frollo manages to sneak inside, uh, and he finds uh, he finds Quasimodo weeping over Esmeralda's body because he thinks she's dead. And Quasimodo's like... Well, Frollo comes in, he's like, she died because of you, basically. <laughs>
0: like thanks dude like
1: fuck off yeah and he's like but don't worry your pain will soon be at an end and quasimodo sees like frollo's shadow with a dagger about to like why kill quasimodo like to what end frollo right like what's he gonna do like just to really just put the cherry on top of the evil sunday that is his life he's like well i might as well kill the bell ringer like who's gonna Mm. do it for you frollo like someone has to ring the bells you lack of foresight on Frollo's part I feel um (laughs) but yeah Quasimodo's like you're the monster the only monster here is you you've made me think that I was unlovable and a monster and I'm not like I can be loved she loved me and I loved her but then Esmeralda is like alive and then he has to carry her off and stop Frollo killing her again
0: yeah. And so they have like an additional big fight. And then like at some point, and, and which by the way, Frollo then reveals like, oh, also, by the way, I've been lying the whole time about your mother. Like, this reminds me about like how like you're, it, it was like this very like Lion King-esque, like mm-hmm. this reminds me of how your mother was when she was trying to save you like
1: a like a chump or something. Yeah, exactly. And Frollo and Cozumoto is like, what? No. And it's like, Frollo you fucking idiot you should have known that revealing this lifelong lie would give him the final burst of strength he need to fucking kill you right
0: And it's also very this like ironic like that uh, Frollo like piously says, uh, you know, God shall swipe the wicked and plunge them into the fiery pit. And then like the thing he's standing on breaks and he gets plunged into said fiery
1: pit. Yeah, he's like he's there's a bit of like, I don't know, is it magic realism or what? Like he's he's hanging on for dear life onto this gargoyle and it's got like the face of a like a panther or something and yeah. it comes to life and, like, roars in his face, and he's like, bah! and then the gargoyle breaks off um, and they both fall into the flames below and they died.
0: Which is very much also, a, like, very clearly supposed to be, like, the flames
2: of hell. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's, yeah, literal flames, but symbolic of the flames of hell. Um, very popular death in Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> falling to your death. Mm-hmm. Happens in Beauty and the Beast, happens in Tarzan. I don't know what else happens in this. Yeah. The Lion
0: King, there's like the dramatic, like he falls, but then I guess the hyenas eat him.
1: Yeah. And like in Tarzan, he falls and kind of like gets hung with vines. Yeah. But yeah, it happens in a bunch of them. Falling deaths. Because basically, I guess the idea is that if someone falls to their death, it's not the fault of the protagonist and you can still like them because they haven't caused a death. Or at the very
0: least, like even if they kind of do, you don't have to like reckon with it mentally in the same mm-hmm. way as you do, like, watching somebody stab somebody.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, Quasimodo briefly is trying to save Frollo because, like, all kind of dangling off the building. Yeah. yeah, so, like, even to the last, Quasimodo is trying to save this person who was so awful to him. Yeah. And they won.
0: <laughs> yeah, they won. And also everybody likes Quasimodo now. Some child runs up and hugs him.
1: Yeah, he, like... It's it's a weird, because, yeah, they they lead him outside. Like, oh, I hate, how did you feel about the bit where Quasimodo, like, takes Phoebus and Esmeralda's hands and, like, joins Ugh, their hands together? Again. Like, I am granting a dispensation over your relationship.
0: And it's like, what right do you have to do this? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Like, we were never going to ask your permission anyway, but okay. But, yeah, they, they get him outside and this little girl, she, like, comes up and she, like, touches his face and then, Quasimodo like hugs her like she's not accepting you she's touching your face (laughs) but we're supposed to take this as like they like him now hooray Hooray. yeah I guess
0: like he'll be fine now um and also I guess like Esmeralda and Phoebus will like get married I don't know
1: oh they do in the sequel they have a child and and Quasimodo gets a hot girlfriend so, he's not single forever. Hooray! <laughs> the
0: gargoyles must be so happy.
1: They're pumped.
0: <laughs> Does the one gargoyle ever get to date the goat?
1: I don't remember. God, I, I hope so. It's not good. It's not good. Like fire,
2: Hell fire, this fire.
0: So we've already hinted at some things already, but the next section, the Vera et Falso, is we're all discuss what they got right and wrong.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Actually, at first, just like, because of this end, I just want to note that this is really not the end in the book. Like, mm-hmm. really not the end in the book. Where Phoebus sucks. Phoebus actively, on purpose, betrays Esmeralda because he doesn't actually, like, care about... Like, he, like, thinks she's hot. But he doesn't actually give a shit about her. Mm -mm. And so like I I actually like hate him being like a good guy and the and like the like positive love interest. Like I just think it's I, I just hate it. I really hate it.
1: Well, in the in La Esmeralda, Phoebus dies, but he dies for love. So I mean, again, his character got retconned by by Victor Hugo. It's the problem is. The Hunchback of Notre Dame has been adapted and adapted and readapted so yeah. many times that you can't you can't do a straight adaptation from novel to movie True. without yeah. taking into account the influence that all the previous adaptations have had on the public consciousness. True. I and I don't think I don't think that people would have accepted a new version that was as close to the mm. as close to the book because so much has already been done with the source material. Right.
0: And especially for like, this is a Disney movie, like they have to, I feel like they have to give it something that is a happy ending.
1: Yeah, I think there's that element as well. It's, I, I think it's not the whole reason, but it's definitely part of the reason. I think at this point, when you have a story that's been told and retold so many times, the originality isn't in the story itself, the originality is in, the aesthetics of the movie and how they present the cathedral and the visuals of that and the music. Those are the truly original parts because the story is something we already know. And it's the same as like, I mean, a lot of the movies they take on like the princess and the frog, the little mermaid beauty and the beast. These are all stories that humans have been telling each other for centuries. The, the original part is the, is the aesthetics and the, and the music. That's what Disney does
0: yeah which is fair
1: and the other thing to bear in mind is that Notre Dame as we know it today is is we we owe so much to Victor Hugo because he brought Mm -hmm. this landmark to the public consciousness and you know helped put a lot of this preservation in place for landmarks yeah absolutely so the novel was trying to address a problem that doesn't exist anymore like we don't have to be convinced Mm -hmm. to value historical landmarks anymore so the yeah, the purpose of the novel doesn't need to be included in the movie because it's not a problem we face.
0: Right. And I will say already, like, uh, so I'll, uh, in the next segment, I'll, like, I'll talk a little bit more about, like, the, particularly, like, the way that Notre Dame is portrayed and things along those lines. Oh, yes, like, please. I do actually think that, like, the movie is also kind of in a similar way, like, has something of that vibe of being, like, a love story to Notre Dame. Like, I definitely, mm-hmm. like, had these moments where I, like, cried, just like looking at Notre Dame in this movie, mm-hmm. it's
1: so beautiful. The CGI—they were really getting a hang of it at this point, and it's just—it's yeah. real good. It's real, real yeah. good.
0: Yeah. So, so that's that's Phoebus. The other thing I'll say that's wrong about Phoebus, although this, is, of course, is you know Victor Hugo's fault as well, <laughs> is that there was nobody in the 15th century named Phoebus. No,
2: absolutely
0: not. <laughs> like, it's... you know, like come the fuck on. Your name's like Christopher. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Maybe he just tells everyone his name was Phoebus.
0: I'm named Phoebus after
1: the sun god. It means sun god. (laughs) But yeah, it's like, fuck, fuck dude, that's not
0: your fucking name. Uh, (laughs) There's also, so the other thing that like is not, does not quite ring true is to be honest, actually the entire baseline plot about the Romani. Mm -hmm. Because so the 15th century is still a period where like, the Romani in, or like the late fifteenth, early sixteenth century, is still a period where the Romani in France are like actually kind of fine,
2: mm-hmm. like
0: they're not actually like the, like they're not actually targeted in this way until like until about the seventeenth century.
2: Mm. And interesting. So it's like
0: very much centered on this like constellation of like ethnic stereotypes and attitudes uh, and prejudices that. I would say actually are probably more relevant for Victor Hugo's own time and relatively recent mm-hmm. past than they are in like when the novel and movie ostensibly take place.
1: How interesting.
0: Yeah. It also, it drove me absolutely mad in the feast of fools that they kept talking about it as like a peasant festival and they keep talking about the peasants and that mm. they essentially don't make a distinction between peasants and the urban poor. Which is wrong. Like, the word peasant doesn't just mean, like, poor person. It has a meaning. It refers to people who have, like, a particular, like, relationship with, a, with the land, which means, like, they are people living in more rural areas. Like, the Parisian urban poor aren't peasants.
1: So the peasants would be more people who, like, are governed by the lord of that particular area and they work for him sort of thing?
0: Yeah, like, there'd be people who, like, work the land. Uh, some amount of them are like some of them would be free peasants which means that like they technically could leave others would be serfs which means that like they kind of couldn't mm-hmm. and would be subject to a different kind of constellation of restrictions but it is a category which essentially is referring to like a rural population Not and a city which is also a population, population. that's more socio economically diverse that like there are basically wealthy peasants hmm.
1: how interesting
0: yeah.
1: i had yeah. no idea
0: Yeah, so yeah, here it's basically just like we're using peasant to mean like generic poor person. (laughs) That's cool. So yeah, so that really bothered me. (laughs) There's also I would say kind of some amount of things that they get right and some amount that they get wrong about the Feast of Fools. Mm -hmm. So this is a real thing. I don't understand why they changed the date.
1: What date was it supposed to be? I didn't...
0: So they refer to it in the movie as being on January 6th. I don't know why they go out of their way to say this when it's wrong.
1: Because January the 6th is already a thing. Like, January the 6th is the day – I don't know what this is called in the Catholic Church. I know it's a thing, but um, my family's from Argentina, so the 6th is what we call Reche's Day, which is the day that the three wise men got – they reached the the stable. So that's like – I think that's already a feast day in its own right. Like probably not a Yeah, it's
0: a feast of the Epiphany.
1: Yeah, the Epiphany, that's what it's called. I'm not sorry. I went to Catholic school and I know so little, like you wouldn't know. <laughs> you wouldn't know that I went to Catholic school. Um, but yeah, so they've they've and it's like, just like a Jew who knows all of these Catholic things now because of being <laughs> a medievalist. So. Well, yeah, so yeah, so they've already they've like gotten rid of like an existing feast day and replaced it with a feast day that already had its own day. That's so weird. Right. Yeah. So, like,
0: that's weird, especially also because, like, so, and so, like, so the, it's on January 1st, and the reason it's on, and, like, it's on January 1st, and the feast that it's associated with is the feast of the circumcision of Christ. I oh, get why they boy. don't want to start talking about the circumcision of Christ in this movie. <laughs> well, but they, they could wanna. have just said it was on January 1st and not, like, gotten into the circumcision of Christ.
1: Yeah, no, probably. Yeah, not something that needed to be covered.
0: Although I do just want to remind everyone, uh, I've definitely mentioned this in previous episodes, but I do just want to make sure everybody listening to this is aware of the fact that Christ's circumcision was recognized to the extent that there were relics of Christ's foreskin. There were a couple of different medieval churches that claimed Uh... to have Jesus's foreskin.
1: (laughs) Man, relics are such a trip. I don't... I love relics. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I I love the idea of them. Like I yeah, Catholicism in general, it's I guess it has this certain cuz I I my family's Mormon, so I don't I all I know about Catholicism is from when I went to to school. And there's so many things like relics and saints that I I just they seem so exotic to me because I'm like, wow, saints. We didn't have anything like that. That's that's <laughs> rad.
0: Yeah, and St. Catherine of Siena had a vision in which she married Jesus using his foreskin as the ring.
2: <laughs> oh
1: my god! All right, I'm gonna have to this do some more my reading. About party that. Fact. With this ring, Ivy wed. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, that is so gross. I'm just imagining it like one of my dog's dehydrated treats that are like kind of jerky like. <laughs> it's so gross. <laughs>
0: I mean, Ugh. I definitely seen relics that have that like jerky, like yeah,
1: look. <laughs> that is so gross. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna have yeah. to read about like that the same later. Saint
0: Anthony looks kind of jerky, like.
1: Imagine, like it's so hard. It's so hard these days. When Mary MacKillop, who was Australian, when she was canonized, it was this massive deal because it is so hard in this modern day to sort of convincingly prove that they they did miracles you know that there were right. miracles so that you can canonize a person in modern times the fact that there are saints out there who married god who married jesus and used his foreskin <laughs> as a ring is insane glory <laughs> oh, the catholic
0: church <laughs> <laughs> And I was like I'm Jewish so I didn't grow up with this at all obviously yeah. and then just like learned all this stuff like because like for being a medieval historian and I was like this is so cool how, how, why can't we have this
1: Yeah I know it's, it's amazing Oh man okay please tell me more facts I'm loving this Yeah
0: So the other thing about the Feast of Fools is that for a lot of its history, it was actually, it's presented here as being this like very transgressive thing, but it was very, it was transgressive mostly in a like symbolic sense Mm -hmm. and was very actually like overtly incorporated into church liturgy, including that there would be like a like young person appointed as like a boy bishop who would like lead church services.
1: Mm, That's so strange. Yeah, because this is just seen as like like april fool's day sort of thing not as a as anything of any sort of significance it's just like everything's crazy today it's opposite day
0: and yeah and it's a little more like deliberately so i guess and like structured and it it is based officially on the like there's a biblical principle it's rooted in that god chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise Mm. which is from first corinthians and it's like supposed to be a day like celebrating that Hmm. And so as I said, like the ways in which it's topsy-turvy are very structured and very ultimately like controlled by the traditional hierarchy.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's it's controlled anarchy. Like it's yeah. it's craziness on a very prescribed level.
0: Yeah. It is, however, something that eventually they, like, decide is not the vibe that they want to go for. (laughs) And this actually would be a period at which, like, it would no longer be such a major thing because it basically, like, gets suppressed uh, over the course of the 15th century. With, in particular, in 1445, uh, the uh, the Faculty of Theology at the University of Paris, like, formally condemns it. Hmm. So, by this point, like, it... It certainly wouldn't have been like quite this major of a festival is my understanding.
1: Okay. All right.
0: Then there is the witchcraft accusation. So for once, actually, usually when there are witchcraft accusations in movies, I complain about them because they often put them in the 13th and 14th centuries when witch hunting was not actually a big thing. Mm -hmm. But we are finally getting to a point where it's like becoming more of a thing. Mm hmm. And so like a witch accusation in the late 15th century makes sense in a way that one in the 13th century kind of doesn't. So I will give them that. And also that France is actually one of the places where burning was preferred to hanging for witches, which also is something that like usually in places where hanging Mm -hmm. is preferred, it's like still portrayed as burning, which (laughs) is a common mistake. Mm -hmm. So here that actually... Is correct. The biggest problem with the whole witchcraft thing is that like there are trials. Like mm-hmm. there is a judicial system <laughs> in yeah. the medieval world. And like in particular for like witchcraft and heresy, like I'm not gonna say it's like a fair trial entirely necessarily, but it is like a trial. Like there is like procedure.
1: At least the illusion of justice, if not real justice.
0: Yeah, you don't just, like, plop her on a pyre and be like, do you recant and fuck me? And then she says no, and you're like, whoops, okay, we're good.
1: (laughs) Do you recant and fuck me? Um, (laughs) Yeah, I guess, I mean, not to play devil's advocate, but I guess maybe the the whole movie is kind of leading up to Frollo just literally going mad with power, so... I don't know. I guess I could excuse the fact that they dispense with the trial just to give more context to the fact that Frollo just stopped giving a fuck. He uh-huh. was murdering people in their homes. He was burning Paris to the ground to single-mindedly pursue right. this one chick.
0: But that that also raises a question of like he's. Like he's not the only like official in Paris. Like massive where's like thing. the king of France? Yeah,
1: where where is where are his compatriots? Like there's no other judges in France. It's right. Like there should be low. like
0: uh, like yeah, like there is a massive like royal bureaucracy as well in Paris. Like, are they not noticing that this is happening?
1: Yeah, like the like there's just uh there's a deleted scene somewhere, there's the, like thirty other judges and they're all just somewhere else in the in the castle of justice, whatever, like no, oh, that Frollo guy, he's a pretty uh cuckoo, you know, we don't fuck with him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. And so yeah, it's just this bizarre like where 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 is everyone? <laughs> like Paris is on fire.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the and the king is just like i'm going to the countryside ta ta
0: i will say though i do like a lot of things about the portrayal of religion in that i really like i actually like i really like hellfire and i think it would work better if he were a cleric like he's supposed to be mm-hmm. but i do think it's like a really interesting like commentary on like religious hypocrisy and these like con- and like conflicts between like desire and uh, vows or values or something like i think it is uh, a really like interesting and like slightly more complicated portrayal of medieval christianity than we often get Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i i honestly up up until i rewatched this movie i would have sworn up and down that he was a priest like i didn't realize that he wasn't (laughs) until i watched it and i was like oh okay that's fine i guess right
0: because, yeah, cause they kind of, like, make him not a priest, but they also keep in a lot of things that make more sense if he were a priest. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and that that does also, like, coexist with somebody like the Archdeacon, who is uh, the person who is in this movie, the Archdeacon, who, like, does certainly have a, like, have a kind of, like, different attitude toward things and is, like... I don't know, certain, like, like, cares about certain, like, cares about various things in terms of, like, the sanctity of the church and what that, like, and how that, like, manifests in terms of political power, which is to some extent, like, what sanctuary is, like, mm-hmm. sanctuary is about, like, the strength of the church to some extent. Yes. And so, like, I, I, I really like that. I really like a lot of those details.
1: hmm hmm I agree.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of the stuff in terms of, like, the references to the Virgin Mary work really well. I also really like in that like Esmeralda's song that there seems to be in particular this kind of sense of like the Virgin Mary as this to some extent like crossover figure who is uh, considered potentially accessible to people who are marginalized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that maps on in really interesting ways to the fact that in the medieval world, the Virgin Mary is often portrayed as like having a certain attraction for Jews. Hmm. Even while there's also like Jewish polemic, which is quite nasty about the Virgin Mary. There's also all of these stories, which are things like Jewish women deciding to like pray to the Virgin Mary in childbirth because like, ah, fuck it at this point, you know, why the hell not? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Why not? (laughs) Yeah. And like the Virgin Mary is having this ability that, other import that like Jesus even doesn't necessarily have in terms of like being able to attract at least like women and children from the Jewish community and kind of like be like their like gateway drug into Christianity mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. that yeah that nurturing that more nurturing womanly vibe that right. uh that Jesus doesn't give off so much
0: right the Latin that we hear in the background is accurate Latin and is real medieval hymns for the most part that's awesome which is cool yeah and then finally, I feel like this overall does a pretty good job on art and material culture. We have good like views of Paris that actually look like medieval Paris and kind of make sense. We see the medieval Palais de Justice and the Saint-Chapelle. And I think that's done well overall. The one area where I'd say that gets a little complicated is in terms of Notre Dame itself. It's not my
2: fault. He made the devil so much stronger. Than a man.
0: The next section is the Historia at Veritas, where I talk about a kind of real event or phenomenon or something and I'm, up, I'm going to talk about the building. I'm just going to talk mm. about Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And as I said already, like the visuals of it are so... Dunning.
1: Yeah, truly.
0: Yeah, and there are a lot of glimpses of things that that do date back to this period or earlier. So the cathedral itself is constructed between 1160 and 1260, and so a lot of, obviously, the kind of fabric of the building does date back to this point. We see the rose windows, and three of Notre Dame's famous rose windows date back to the 13th century. We also see a very brief glimpse, which I noticed for the first time, actually, on this watch, that as Esmeralda's walking around when she's singing, that uh, you see a kind of brief glimpse of there's this gorgeous choir screen that's depicting uh, scenes from the life of Christ. And you can kind of see that behind her. Mm. And there's all the kind of statuary on the outside. What we have there now is not original, because they got wrecked in the French Revolution. Mm -hmm. But the one like what they had in the movie looked like it was definitely like an effort being made at like, looking like the original and the ones they have now actually on the outside are also clearly like they're supposed to look like the original more or less.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was just thinking, I, I don't know if you know this, but in the French revolution, all the, all the, the, the eyes of Notre Dame that you see talked about throughout the movie, which are these like dudes with these creepy, you know, stone eyeballs. And you're like, yes. during the French revolution, they're supposed to depict the 12 Kings of Israel but yeah. during the French Revolution, the people who ransacked Notre Dame thought they represented the French kings, so they cut off all their heads. So that's one of the things that got – because they just didn't know, which is so sad. It's like, no, no, they're not the kings of France. <laughs> Please don't destroy them.
0: And also just like, you know, I feel like, like kingship was sort of out of fashion in general, <laughs> yeah, so. No,
1: no, it was uh, – they weren't on board with kings at that point.
0: Yeah, and we do have a number of the uh, the severed heads – did survive and uh, can be seen in the Musée de Cluny in Paris. Hmm. You can you can go a short walk from Notre Dame and go see the severed heads that used to be on Notre Dame.
1: This this movie I'm not I'm not a Francophile by any means, and I'm not really France. France is not on my list of places I'd like to go in the world. But it, this made me want to go check it out for the architecture because yeah. I do appreciate nice architecture. And this I was watching and I was like. Maybe I should go check it out. This is like, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about it.
0: I like Paris a lot. It's so I mean, it's not my main. I don't go there for work purposes because my main research site is uh, is bar is in and around Barcelona, mm-hmm. so that's where I spend most of my time. But I've been to Paris for fun a few times, and I I really I really like it as a city. And I yeah, I mean, and the architecture is just like. Like Notre Dame and the St. Chapelle, I think are really just like some of the most gorgeous buildings in the world.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna think about it because, Yeah. yeah, it was so beautiful. The, yeah, the CGI in this, I cannot overstate it. It's just, it's just so good. It's really good. It is. It's excellent.
0: The big thing I will say that shows up here that would not have actually been in the medieval Notre Dame is our, our gargoyle friends. Our gargoyle friends are all grotesques from the 19th century. Mm -hmm. So as we were saying before, Victor Hugo's novel basically was in part a tool to inspire people to give a shit about Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. And it worked. And, you know, since it worked, it then inspired this massive restoration overseen by Eugène Viollet, le Duc, who is like the person to go to for medieval restorations in France in the mid to late 19th century.
1: Sorry, so are you saying that the gargoyles weren't characters in the original book?
0: Yeah, so yeah, no, the gargoyles were not original characters, shocking.
1: Unbelievable. Uh, How could Disney take such artistic license?
0: So like, I, I don't care that the gargoyles weren't characters, but I do feel at least like duty bound to point out that they are gargoyles that would not have existed visually in either the 15, like the 15th, 16th century or in 1831 when the book was
1: published. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The ones, what about the actual gargoyles on the side of the building? Are they, are they accurate?
0: Yes, those those looked right, and yeah, and a number I and a number of the ones of the the ones that we see on the building today are uh, are the originals, I believe. Hmm. And also, like you can tell because they are like functional. Like if you walk around, like if you happen to be walking around Notre Dame in the rain, like you can see they still like work. Hmm. Um, that like water will pour out of them.
1: Mm, that's cool. Because I mean, yeah, yeah, it's so weird that they have these gargoyles not Victor Hugo and Laverne, but the actual gargoyles on the side of the building that, like, briefly come to life before Frollo dies. It's like they could have easily just had them as the sidekicks and not... Right. Yeah, I don't... I don't know. It seems... I feel like it's because
0: they're, like, not as cool looking, I guess. No,
1: they're not. I I guess they're not. And I guess merchandising is a massive factor and they had to think about what toys they were going to make. I remember... pretty sure Maccas had toys when i was a kid from hunchback i had a couple of them like just little plastic shitty
0: and i do i and i do really like them like i really enjoy looking at them like it's one of the cool parts about actually getting to go like to go up to the like up to the roof basically like and you can like walk around on that area and like you can see the grotesque up close and like it is really it is really a cool experience and they are very cool looking so I understand why they went that direction, but they, you know, it is worth noting, as I said, uh, for my, you know, history and killjoy moment.
1: <laughs> no, I like it. I like, I love picking things apart.
0: <laughs> and I will say also, it's overall, it is like, I think it actually is a really good restoration. I sometimes like Via Le Duke and I sometimes don't. His restoration of uh, uh, Carcassonne and the walls around Carcassonne is very much like him being like, I feel like this is what this should have looked like. Not maybe what it actually looked like, but what it should have looked like.
1: Yeah, wasn't he like criticized a lot for like giving things a gothic feel instead of just yeah. actually going with accuracy?
0: <laughs> yeah, so the part of his Notre Dame restoration which falls into that category is the spire, which is gorgeous and unfortunately like did not survive the recent fire. Mm. But my being an asshole after that fire was like, well, the spire is very nice, but it's only 19th century. Like it's kind (laughs) of new. (laughs) And it definitely was him being like, I feel like this building should have had a spire.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's like, this needs a phallic symbol on it. Cause you know,
0: but for the most part, a lot of the restoration is, uh, very good and i think like most of it is true to like things about what the building looked like i actually think a lot of the statuary he does a pretty good job uh- and also, like, he does a cool thing where he he figured out that, like, so basically there were, like, changes made in, like, the positioning of windows,
2: mm.
0: basically in one of the renovations in, I think, the 13th century from the 12th century original. And mm. he, in, like, one small part of the cathedral, like, put it back to the 12th century version, which I think Yay. is actually kind of a cool choice.
1: Yeah, that's nice. It's like, yeah, still paying homage to the original and preserving the, the subsequent renovations.
0: Yeah, so I think that's actually really, it was like a really interesting thing to mm. do architecturally and is like a cool way to be a kind of, to have like a creative restoration, but one that still ultimately kind of holds true to the building and its history.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: So I'm I'm on board with Violet Le Duc and Notre Dame in a way that I'm not in some <laughs> other places. <laughs> that's my that's my Notre Dame spiel Mm -hmm. but just uh yeah with the one other thing being just yeah, as we said before like I do really like that like Notre Dame has such a presence in the film because like the point of this novel to some extent really is Victor Hugo being like we should care about Notre Dame
1: yeah yeah it's it's a love it's a love letter to Notre Dame and it's also really is
0: just so central to to certainly pre-modern urban identity. Like the cathedral really is like the center of the city in a way that like it mm. almost actually makes sense to me that like if you're going to have a map and there's going to be like one thing on it, that it would be Notre Dame.
1: Also oh, so you're on board with that weird little string I'm <laughs> actually kind
0: of on board with it. Like it might just have nothing, but if it's going to have one thing... It actually you makes sense the to me is... that it would be Dame. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll,
1: uh, I'll allow it.
0: <laughs> it's so central to how people think about the city. And like, that is the center, like, or like yeah. in the Middle Ages, that would have been like the center of the city. Like
1: the first thing that they thought about when you settle a new city is where are people going to pray sort of thing. Right.
0: Uh, and actually also like, I think a number of them are like, basically said, it like in the cities that are roman cities a lot of them like the cathedrals are basically like on top of what had been like the roman city centers in a very deliberate way because they then want that to be the focal point of urban identity
1: mm-hmm. yeah, it makes sense
0: Yeah, that definitely works. And like, it is like, I mean, I don't know, like, for me, it's I mean, I'm a medievalist. So obviously, I'm biased, but it is for me, very much like, (laughs) that's what I think of when I think of Paris, like, that's probably not normal. Most people probably think of like the Eiffel Tower, but
1: Yeah, yeah, but it is iconic. Like, it's, it's something that is known throughout the world. Yeah. Yeah, it's not as iconic as the Eiffel Tower, perhaps, but it is. It's still very iconic.
0: Yeah. And yeah, and I as I said, I think I think that's one of the really good things about this film is that it does like I think the depiction of Notre Dame is really fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's it's really beautiful. There's a lot of love and care shown with with yeah. the depiction of Notre Dame itself.
0: Yeah.
2: Spill fire, dark fire. No, just-
0: For my next section, I ask uh, both the guest and myself to come up uh, with an alternative story, perhaps inspired by this one, in Fabula Nostra, or Our Story. Mm-hmm. Would you like to go first?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, look, I don't think I don't think it's a movie that warrants uh, like a total tear down and being built up from from the ground again. I think there's a mm-hmm. lot in there that you want to keep. the The CGI, again, I will say it again, is yeah. really fantastic. I would get rid of the CGI crowds. I don't think they look mm. good. I think they're kind of ugly. Yeah. And in some of the crowd shots, you see these weird smooth faces that I'm just not on board with. I really think that if they wanted to approach this as a movie of significance in Disney's history, they had to make a choice about whether they were going to make it like a childish, funny thing, which obviously Mm -hmm. doesn't work with the source material or they make it a movie that is more geared to older kids like you know like high school musical not in tone but like Mm -hmm. in that sort of age group and just sort of resign your fact resign yourself to the fact that it's going to be sad and just say you know these kids need to learn about being sad eventually let's tell a nice story softening some of the more gory details because they are still kids but Mm -hmm. let's get rid of like the fart jokes and the getting hit in the dick jokes yeah and all that shit I just pick a tone and stick with it and I think because of the source material it has to be a more somber tone yeah yeah just make it just make it a musical for older kids yeah that's, that's that
0: yeah I'd actually love to see like not instead of this but in addition to this I would love to see like an animated but adult movie yeah of this like and one where actually like uh, you know i like preserve the original ending like preserve the dark elements of the story but the reason i still like want to do like the depressing adaptation but have it be animated is because i think it would be really cool to have a Potentially a way in which, like the they could like play with the animation style and a way to have more of it, more kind of overtly inspired by medieval art.
1: Yes,
0: I don't know if you, have you seen the Secret of Kells? No, it's a it's a it's a good movie. It's also a beautiful movie, and that is a children's movie, but it's a, a kind of children's movie that's centered around basically the like production of uh, the uh, the Book of Kells, mm. and then like the animation style is clearly also inspired by the Book of Kells.
1: Mm hmm. That's definitely something Disney has done in the past. They usually do it as sort of an introduction to the story. Like we see in yeah. Beauty and the Beast. Right. With the, like the story being told with the stained glass sort of motif. Yeah. Or at the start of Coco when they tell the story of Coco's family, but with the yeah. p- papel picada. Yeah, they definitely could have done that. Like, even if it's not a whole movie, but had like they could have told the the story of Quasimodo and how he came to be in the bell tower. That whole bit with Clopin at the start could have been in that style, and that would have been a really nice addition.
0: Yeah. So yeah, so that I think that would have been really fun to have it be like I don't know, like inspired by like 15th century illuminated manuscripts. Totally. Yeah.
1: That's a really good idea. That's a really good idea, actually.
2: <laughs> yeah, That's no, what I t- want to deal.
1: Yeah, no, they should. Yeah, no, those are good additions. I think more people of colour just in general. Like, it's yeah. so, it's such a white movie. Like, they sort right. of hint at some ethnicity that the Romani people have, but it's kind of like, you know show us please like they're they're just they're just white people with black hair and they're just like imagine imagine that they're ethnic right and it's a problem
0: with a lot of medieval films in general that they tend to elide the reality of that even in some place like northern france like it was a much more diverse population than people tend to assume it was and then it's, like, even more bizarre that you choose to make a central part of the movie, like, about the Romani, and then, like, but not, but then, yeah, just basically have them just, like, be white.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, the more diversity, please. Yeah, uh, I would recast this with actual voice actors instead of big yeah. names. Tom Hulse can stay, I guess, even though I'm not, I'm not super impressed with him overall but i don't have a problem with him get rid of the comic sidekicks if they're gonna have talking gargoyles less vulgar please (laughs) just all that i kind
0: of want to not have the talking gargoyles but have like different talking i want to have the medieval statues actually talk i want to have him have like weird conversations with like the israelite
2: kings
1: Yeah, like, um, like in Hercules when the statue of Zeus comes to life yeah. to talk to Hercules. Yes, that would be so good. Like what would you have done? That would be awesome. Or alternatively, something that could be used to great comic effect would have it be like Frollo imagines it, that Quasimodo just talks to these gargoyles and they don't talk back. And he right? just <laughs> insanely is rambling to these gargoyles And, you know, Mm. they have weird facial expressions so they could be, like, reaction shots of just what the gargoyles look like (laughs) but sort of frame it in a way that they're reacting to what he's saying. That would be great. Yeah. I think we've solved this movie.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: It's perfect now. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) And then have the depressing ending where eventually they find, like, Quasimodo and Esmeralda's bones together.
1: I know! It's so gross (laughs) that he just, like, crawls into her grave and dies... (laughs) <laughs> oh my god.
0: And I will say the one other thing that does bother me on the one hand, like it is a nice message that, like, the fact that you were nice doesn't mean that you, like, deserve, like, to be rewarded with a relationship. Yeah. On the other hand, if they're gonna, like, do, a, like, you know, make it a happy ending anyway, I kind of feel like it's kind of icky that they're like, okay, here now, here's a character that we're going to, like, Pretend is interesting and, like, have Esmeralda, like, get with him because obviously, like, I I know you said they did, like, remedying this in the sequel, but, like, obviously the hot girl can't get with, like, this, like, disabled, deformed man. Mm. And it just seems like, I don't know, it just seems like ultimately this, like, actually, though, like, traditional, like, Western beauty standards do matter. And like, that is actually what defines why people get into a relationship.
1: On the one hand, I do agree with you, but on the other, I feel like getting, getting the girl shouldn't be the goal. And I don't know if it's the right message you want to send to, to, to kids that, you know, this, this sheltered loner's whole character arc is just him. You know, well, it's basically, if we have Quasimodo and Esmeralda getting together at the end it basically reframes the whole movie as like a sexual competition between Quasimodo and Frollo where they both want to fuck her, but Quasimodo is like the nice one. And that I don't think is much better of a message either. Esmeralda and Phoebus could just be friends. Everyone could just be friends.
0: That's true. I think it actually might be one of those things where, like, the best solution actually would have just been to, like, not have any romantic relationship result from this. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I, yeah, no, Quasimodo and Esmeralda would not work, but Phoebus and Esmeralda, I'm not on board with either.
0: And especially, like, I don't think he has a personality, to be honest. So, like,
1: no, he doesn't. He's just good. And, and this is the thing, like, it happens a lot in Disney movies that they have characters who their whole personality is just being good and I'm not yeah. I'm not into it. Like the the Cinderella remake had that issue. They're like, oh Cinderella's mm-hmm. so kind. That's her personality. She's kind. And it's like right. but what else? It's not a personality. No, being kind isn't a personality. Like give me something to fucking work with. Yeah. Yeah. No. Not on board with Phoebus. Uh he's yeah. just he gives me strong fuck boy vibes. <laughs>
0: yeah. And like I don't know. I just like everything about him, like I'm just like I and as I said, I'm sure this is influenced by the novel, but I'm just like, I don't believe that like you are going to like remain like a good partner and like loyal. I just like yeah. don't find it believable.
1: <laughs> yeah, like even if they're together at the end of the movie, does their relationship have legs? Does it have longevity? Absolutely not. Yeah. It's yeah, like, like I'm
0: fine with Esmeralda like making out with Phoebus. Like, fair enough.
1: Yeah. But But I feel like that's as far as it should go. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not buying that they're getting married and whatever. And, like, yeah, yeah, like, how... What a betrayal of Esmeralda's character that, you know, she's like, yes, I just so happen to be one of the, one of the Romani people that can't stand to be cooped up inside, but traditional marriage? Yes, please.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm totally (laughs) on board
1: with that. I'm not like other girls, but like this, I am very much like other girls. (laughs) It's, it's a weird choice.
0: Right. Please give me a husband and like a white picket fence.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Immediately. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: God mercy on earth. God have mercy
0: I think you can move on to uh, our reading of the film on a scale of one to five based on whatever criteria you see fit
1: oh boy I guess I give it like a three like it's it's yeah. it's not terrible but it's not great it's not one that I keep coming back to in the Disney canon yeah. but some of those songs are really good and the visuals are very pleasing I would revisit it every few years yeah. Do you allow half points? Yes. All right. Three and a half. I give it a solid three and a half. It's like a C plus. Yeah. That's,
0: I was actually thinking the same. I was thinking a 3.5 and Parks. I was actually kind of starting with a three and then basically decided it deserved an extra half point for being such a great portrayal like of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And I will say ultimately, honestly, like in terms of the historical accuracy issues, like I've, I found movies which are way worse than this, mm. which like, Honestly, like, at, for like a movie geared toward children, I feel like it is not the like most irresponsible portrayal of the late of the late medieval world that I can mm. imagine. First of all, thank you so much for coming on and talking about The Hunchback of Notre Dame with me. Thank
1: you. Are there what other are there any other Disney movies set in medieval times? I'd love to come back if you'll have me because I love talking about yes. Disney.
0: That'd be great. There's there's a lot that are set in like vaguely medieval-ish times.
1: Yeah, like oh, you've already done Robin Hood. Aladdin is is kind of medieval-ish so much as like vague legend but like a lot of it
0: like i mean like sleeping beauty i feel like and, and like and even maybe like beauty and the beast i feel like are arguably like medieval ish
1: yeah they're they're medieval adjacent they've got that flavor to them
0: yeah yeah i totally. do some like random like medieval ish disney movie and
1: yeah yeah if you'll have me back i'd love to do it yeah yeah i, I will talk about disney all day long i have thoughts on Sorry. everything <laughs> <laughs>
0: Awesome. Yeah, actually I, I should do Aladdin, actually. I, mm. I actually have thoughts about
1: Aladdin. Mm. I, I have a lot of thoughts about Aladdin. <laughs> yes. I'll talk more <laughs> about famous people doing voices.
0: Oh yes. And also whitewashing.
1: Yeah, whitewashing, all that. Yeah. Yeah, I had a really great time. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Yes, thank you so much for coming. Where are places where the listeners could find you on the internet?
1: Um, Well, I have a couple podcasts, so I will list them for you now. I do a podcast with my husband called Sarah and Michael Save Christmas, where we watch Christmas episodes of TV shows and sometimes movies. We also have another podcast that is a limited release uh, called Jellicle Cast, where we watch the 2019 movie Cats five minutes at a time and talk about it in excruciating detail, uh, the episodes <laughs> the episodes are surprisingly long, considering we only talk about it five minutes at a time. And I also have another podcast that I do with my brother called Spurging Out, where we talk about how he has Asperger's and how he just his view on life, and we talk about things. We shoot the shit, basically, mm-hmm. and sometimes we have on our other brother who also has Asperger's, and um, yeah. It's, it's an interesting dynamic because Julian, our baby brother, he's the most Spurgy, we call it, and then Jeremy's uh-huh. less Spurgy than that again. And then I have some Spurgy tendencies, but I'm not diagnosed, and uh, we have an interesting dynamic between the three of us, and that's fun as well. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's all my stuff. And I have do you plug Instagrams and stuff. Yeah, go
0: for it. Okay,
1: sure. If if you'd like to see my art and stuff, um, I'm on Instagram at sarahbagsmisc. M I S C and bags is with two G's.
0: And yeah, and you have an Etsy store too. Right? Uh, yeah, I do.
1: All the links uh, are in the Instagram. You can have a look. It's been awesome. on. Uh, it's been on holidays because of uh, the COVID. The shipping's not so great yeah. at the moment. It's a bit unreliable, but yeah. we'll be getting back to it eventually.
0: One day there will be a normal world, maybe. Fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and rate and review Media Evil on Apple Podcasts. And I will read new five-star reviews in future episodes. I have not had any for a couple of weeks. So if you're listening, please feel inspired to write a review. Mm -hmm. Please also follow the podcast on Twitter at Media Evil Pod and join our Facebook group. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah Ifdecker. If you have any questions or suggestions, I would love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Media Evil. Bye. Bye. Who
2: is the monster and who is the man? Well, <laughs> <laughs>